Chapter 10 Loot and Healing Jake opened his eyes when he saw the countdown for the dungeon shutdown reach thirteen minutes. He had initially decided to get up at fifteen, but two more minutes shouldn't hurt, right? During his meditation, he did have time to go over his notifications. Ding! Class Ambitious Hunter has reached level fifty-five, stat points allocated, plus four free points. Ding! Profession Prodigious Alchemist of the Malefic Viper has reached level fifty-one, stat points allocated, plus five free points. Ding! Race Human E has reached level fifty-three, stat points allocated, plus five free points. Ding! Class Ambitious Hunter has reached level fifty-six, stat points allocated, plus four free points. Ding! Class Ambitious Hunter has reached level 57, stat points allocated, plus 4 free points. Ding! Race Human E has reached level 54, stat points allocated, plus 5 free points. He had gotten a grand total of 4 levels between his profession and class. After killing the second white doe, he'd gotten a level in his class, and after finishing off the last doe and the great white stag, he had gotten 2 entire levels more. It hadn't been level 93 for nothing. To level in his profession was also an unexpected gain. It reinforced the notion that one didn't necessarily need to create potions to level, but doing difficult practice could also lead to levels. He reckoned the same would be right for classes, actually. Would he be able to level by just practicing with his bow? A fascinating but utterly useless thought that Jake quickly suppressed, as he only had a dozen minutes left before the dungeon would shut down. It took quite a bit of effort, but he managed to get himself on his feet. He also took out a health potion, since the cooldown was over by now. Like a desert meeting rain, his body greedily absorbed the potion's vital energy, instantly making him feel a lot better than before. Thank the malefic viper I am an alchemist, he thought, with a slight chuckle, already walking towards the pond where he had thrown the great white stag. To his surprise, the concoction that had once filled half the pond was gone. When the formation overloaded, it had sent half of the water flying. It was now splashed around the area. It was quite easy to see where it had landed, as it was where all the grass had died. But there was still a lot left, enough to nearly submerge the entire stag. But the pond itself was completely empty of any liquid now. Even the corpse of the great white stag was gone. However, where the stag had died, there now was a single out-of-place item, a small, pebble-sized object, no larger than a fingernail. He could easily feel the mana pulse out of it, his identify making it clear it wasn't a simple item. Corrupted Moon Core Shard, Epic. The shard of a moon core, corrupted by an immense amount of toxicity. It is unstable by nature, and will not last more than a few months in its current state. Contains highly concentrated volatile energy as the energies clash within. The mana of the moon and the foreign mana exist in a constant cycle of mutual destruction. Requirements cannot leave the tutorial area. Jake, like the description, had no idea what to use it for. It seemed like a ticking time bomb that he couldn't take out of the tutorial. Very intriguing, if he had to say so himself. He had clearly been the source of the corruption, but that also meant it had been uncorrupted before his interference. Had this been the item that the stag poured all the mana from the moon above into? Was he meant to get this item in its uncorrupted form? He didn't know, and as the countdown to the dungeon shutting down hit eight minutes, he didn't have time to find out either. What he did know, however, was that he shouldn't try to inject mana into it, 
or he was pretty damn sure it would go boom. Not that he planned on leaving it behind, as he threw it into his storage before moving on. First, he rushed towards the middle pond. If the last two dungeons were any indication, then he would gain a lockbox or two. Maybe he would even finally get a jacket or something, as he was getting a bit tired of running around bare-chested. Even just a cloak would be fine, just not the shitty archer cloak. Less than a minute later, he reached the center pond and inspected it. The water had lost all luster, and a quick identification yielded no result, which meant it was indeed just normal water now, holding not a single magical property of note. What was, however, of note was what was in the water. Carved into the bottom of the center was a magical circle, exactly where the great white stag had been standing to control the formation. It didn't take a genius to conclude that this was the controlling circle or something. Not that it mattered anymore, as it was clearly broken, based on the cracks all over it. There was still one fascinating thing about it, though. In the middle of the circle was a book, a book that brought back a sense of déjà vu. It reminded Jake of the giant tome that had granted him his profession back in the day, though this tome was gray with the depiction of a moon on the cover. It was beautifully designed, to say the least, and of course he used identify on it. Akashic Tome of the Lucentai Mage, unique, allows the user to acquire the class Lucentai Mage if compatible. Requirements, level 24 to 99 in any class, compatible user. Jake picked up the tome and noticed that it wasn't wet in the slightest despite being underwater. It was like the liquid didn't even make contact with its surface. When he picked it up, it instantly made him aware he couldn't use it. Clearly, he wasn't what was deemed a compatible user. Though, to be fair, he wouldn't have wanted it anyway. He had chosen to be an archer and not a caster, and he was more than happy with that choice. Throwing the tome in his spatial storage, he looked around the area a bit more as he scanned it with his sphere. He didn't spot anything worth noting, at least nothing containing mana or able to be identified. He did note what looked like the remnants of a few withered plants, but nothing useful. With nothing else of note at the center pond, he rushed back towards the entrance. It didn't seem like there was a dedicated exit, which didn't really surprise him considering the dungeon's open design. Making his way to the exit, he finally spotted something. A single lockbox sat at the entrance, and Identify told him it was rare. Based on the size and shape of the box, it appeared to be a long, long weapon of some kind. Jake couldn't help but hope for it to maybe be a bow. It was a bit long for it, but it was still possible. Opening it, he instead found a staff. Staff of Lucent Realms, rare. A staff made from the great white stag's antlers and ordained with a moonstone. The concentrated power of moonlight within makes it suitable for most light affinity casters. Allows the user to borrow the power within the moonstone once a day, reducing the cost and significantly increasing the power of any skills related to the concept of moonlight. Requirement. Level 50-plus in any humanoid race. Jake read the description and had to admit that the staff did seem strong, if utterly useless to him. Touching it, he also felt that he clearly had a great sword of nature situation all over again, a.k.a. incompatible with him. Tossing the staff into his storage together with the tome, he placed his hand on the door and exited the dungeon. As he exited, he also checked out his last two notifications. Tutorial Quest, The Beast Lords, The Forest Murmurs with Rumors of a King Ruling from the Shadows, 
The four beast lords each guard their dungeon as their king commanded, waiting for a suitable challenger to appear. With the death of his lords the king is sure to be forced into the light. But be warned, the lords will not meet their end that easily. Two lords have fallen. The king has taken notice but has yet to make a move. Continue with the quest, and you shall inevitably meet. Objective. Defeat the beast lords. Current progress, two of four. It had gotten a bit foreboding. Jake wondered who or what this so-called king was, but he would eventually find out if the system was to be believed. Of course, he had a few more dungeons to clear out first. The second notification he got was about his titles upgrading, now providing one and three more overall stat points, respectively. Dungeoneer 3. Successfully clear a dungeon suitable for your level, plus three all stats. Dungeon Pioneer 3. Be the first to clear a dungeon suitable for your level, plus nine all stats. Overall, his gains from the dungeon had been significant. While he hadn't gotten any new gear, he had gained ten levels in his class and one in his profession, and it had only taken him a bit more than two days. Checking his tutorial panel, he found that he had ample time left to clear out the two next dungeons at his current pace. Tutorial panel. Duration. 13 days and 22 hours, 45 minutes, 10 seconds. With nearly two weeks, he didn't see what could stop him. But first things first, he needed to get back in peak condition. His current resources were still dangerously low, and he had no intentions of getting into a fight at the present time. Status. HP, 825 of 4,560. MP, 914 of 5,260. Stamina, 712 of 2,390. While he could move naturally, he still felt weak all over, so he began meditating inside the mountain-like volcano. After a bit less than an hour, he exited meditation, chugged a healing potion, and closed his eyes once more. This repeated for nearly an entire day as he alternated between potions until he returned to peak condition. He had honestly underestimated how much damage he had taken. To fully heal, his body had taken far more vital energy than he had first believed. Healing corroded and heavily poisoned internal organs wasn't that easy. The poison itself wasn't the issue, it was the damage left by the light affinity mana. After the first half a day, his mana was up to a healthy level, allowing him to resume a bit of mana practice while he was just sitting there anyway. It was unsurprisingly boring to meditate, and trying to weave constructs of mana was a pleasant pastime. He honestly felt a bit bad for those without a sphere of perception who could only sit there and do nothing. Walking out of the tunnel leading into the volcano, he again found himself overlooking the inner area. Nothing had really changed since he entered, and he was more than happy to just move on to the next dungeon. Dungeons were clearly far more efficient than the beasts outside at this point. Besides, enemies outside of the dungeons were only in their low sixties at the highest, and those were often solitary beasts like the buffaloes. Scanning the geography, he quickly found an easy way towards the next volcano-like mountain. It was naturally the third smallest, which should be the third dungeon to do. He briefly considered maybe clearing a valley or two in the hope of finding some more equipment, but ultimately decided against it. The loot in the dungeons was far better anyway. If Jake could use it, that was. And even if it weren't, the levels would make up for it either way. Getting good gear was all well and good, but he would eventually outgrow it. As an example, his bracers only provided five agility and three strength, along with their minor bonus to stealth while hidden in shadows. 
His cloak had become useless to the point where he didn't even wear it. Even the smallest scratch or attack ripped it up, forcing him to spend time mending it. Even then, it didn't provide any meaningful defense against anything but projectile attacks, and it wasn't like there was anyone else around to see him run around in only his pants, boots, and a pair of bracers. As he ran towards the dungeon, he came across a single pack of raptors in their early fifties. Surprisingly, the beasts didn't attack him, but ran away the second they noticed him. There was no good reason to waste time chasing them down, so he decided just to let it go. All other beasts on the way reacted the same. The moment they spotted him, they tucked their tails and advanced in the opposite direction. Jake couldn't help but wonder if he really looked that scary. It did, however, result in him quickly making his way to the mountain with the dungeon, yet another tunnel that he found himself within. While the first two had lush greenery within, this one was just soil all over. There was only one change in the ground, a vertical hole right in the middle. Jake jumped down from the entrance into the volcano and landed on the soil. It was relatively soft and reminded him of the earth that had been in the challenge dungeon. Jake held himself back from collecting some of it. If he really wanted it, he could get it after the dungeon. He walked up to the hole and looked down. It was around ten to eleven meters deep. He only knew that due to his sphere of perception, though. His eyes didn't allow him to see a single thing, no matter how hard he tried. Even Hunter's sight didn't give any result. It was like a strange kind of manna was within the hole, one that made it pitch black, and while he could see inside with his sphere, everything appeared a bit obscured and blurry. It didn't feel dangerous, though, so Jake decided just to take a plunge and jump into the hole. A few meters down, everything went black as the darkness enveloped him. Landing, he found stone beneath his feet, and not just ordinary stones, bricks. The walls, too, were made of bricks, making it clearly man-made, or alien-made. The point is that some kind of intelligent race had constructed it. In front of Jake was the usual door that marked the entrance. Placing his hand on it, he received the standard message and didn't hesitate to accept it. Time for the third dungeon. Chapter 11 True Protagonist William's entire body ached with pain, pain unlike any he had ever felt before. But he could only smile at the sensation, because pain meant that he was still alive. When he had regained consciousness, he didn't know, but he did know that it had been several days since he had nearly fallen. His entire body cooked inside his armor, his skin cauterized, the blood in his veins boiling, and his eyes popping out from the heat. But despite all that, he had lived, held on to his last sliver of health. He should have died, he knew that, but he hadn't, because death was not his destiny. He'd been chosen, so his body refused to die, and slowly he'd started to heal. His entire body had healed at once, meaning that all parts healed at a nearly equal pace. It had only taken a few days before his limbs started returning to peak condition, but his internal organs had still taken a long time to return to a functional state. And today, for the first time, his sight returned. He could always see through the breastplate still on him, but now he could finally observe the world through his own eyes. Today he was finally ready to make himself known once more. The ash on him scattered as he moved his body. His skin was revealed below, healthier than ever, his mind sharper than before. 
William felt reborn, like a phoenix experiencing nirvana, reforged in both body and mind. Looking around, he saw the half-eaten corpses of the ones he had slaughtered. He saw the dead rodents that had dared to think him just another cadaver to consume. He had absorbed the armor and weapons of the fallen. He had regained his mana and was now far more potent than before. His skill to absorb metals had even upgraded in rarity, now allowing him to absorb even enchanted metals. With his mind, he extended his armor to cover his entire body once more, only leaving his face visible. As he looked around for useful items, he was disappointed to find not a single enchanted item anywhere. It didn't take him long to put two and two together. The other survivors must have come to gather the loot. In the end, no matter whether an herbivore or a predator, humans would be forever greedy. William saw no scenario in which they left good stuff lying around. He was lucky they hadn't found him. He had been entirely burned, likely why no one had recognized him as being alive. But luck was to be expected. For a protagonist to experience supernatural luck wasn't out of the ordinary. At least, that is what William believed. His domination of the tutorial was, however, not over. As his tutorial panel clearly showed, he had more to kill. Tutorial panel, total survivors remaining, 49 of 1200. Duration, 14 days and 0 hours, 40 minutes, 44 seconds. As he looked through his logs, he found an entry he had expected. Tutorial quest, a leader is born. Objective, become the sole leader of at least 90% of the other humans during the tutorial. Current progress, 2%. Eliminate other leaders, 0 of 1. He had gotten it the moment he also got the notification for killing Richard. A sweet notification indeed. You have slain Human, E, level 34, Stalwart Bulwark, level 41, Tyrannical Conniver, level 28, Experience Earned, 27,254,214 TP Earned. Despite the level difference, William had gained several levels from that one fight, but then again he had killed a lot of people. He had gotten revenge. He had fulfilled the final wish of his first friend, Hermann Schmidt, and now he could return to his own agenda. Over these last few days, William had had a lot of time to think and dream as he slipped in and out of consciousness. With his body idle, he'd had only his own mind to keep him company. William had, for the first time, felt anger and had become illogical because of his emotions, and the feeling was oddly... liberating. Before, he'd never felt anything when he'd killed, just a mild satisfaction from the levels and whatever else he'd got. He enjoyed the benefits from the kills, but not the act of killing itself. He did make a game out of it, but that was just to spice up the monotony. The concept of emotions had been opened to him. He was acutely aware of it. But unlike an average person, William viewed it as only another tool. He had seen that emotions could allow one to perform feats above what they should otherwise, but he had also seen it corrupt them. Hamon had been corrupted, as had the trapper Casper. So many people in this tutorial had been infected with the curse that was chaotic emotions. By guilt, loss, depression, bloodlust, and uncontrollable urges for revenge. He would not fall to the same fate. Yet he could not simply write them off. Amon had made armor far stronger than he should have been able to produce, and Casper had displayed power that even the current William couldn't comprehend. It had been close during his fight with Richard. 
He had lost himself towards the end, felt the inklings of corruption enter his mind. His thoughts had turned cloudy, his desires illogical, his actions emotional. But with a long time spent lying there, he'd managed to find his footing once more. He'd healed himself of much of the affliction that had come over him. He now felt close to what he had before entering the tutorial. Through the many dreams that had come to him, he became enlightened with a new understanding. He was now beyond his prior definition of perfection. His potential had increased. He had already reaped the benefits once. He would have never upgraded a skill like that without the massive stimuli from the near-death experience coupled with his raging emotions. It was a cocktail that had forced him to overcome what he currently was, drag everything out from within to realize his desire. And William was acutely aware of his desires. He wanted power. At first, he'd only done so as an instinctual craving, but now he truly desired it. He desired to reach perfection, to become an insurmountable existence, and he would stop at nothing to realize that craving. Richard had held power, but it was the fragile sort, power reliant on others. He had been betrayed by those he believed to be his allies, which had ultimately contributed to his death, a fate William had no intentions to repeat. Which was why he didn't care much for the quest. William did not see himself as a leader, not because he believed himself incapable of leading, but because it was necessary. Yet his dreams made him aware that he was to complete it, Right now he had earned the loyalty of two percent of the tutorial, a rounded-up number, he was sure. He was the leader of only one survivor, and that was himself, a fact he had no desire to change. Even in all his arrogance, William didn't believe it possible to make them all loyal to him, so he would have to do it the hard way. There was also the other leader, whom William already knew was Jacob. It had to be. Weirdly enough, he didn't really feel any desire to kill the man, but he knew he would have to. It was possible to force him into leading the camp into being loyal to him, but William had kind of killed his girlfriend. So he started walking back towards the base. He hoped they had not scattered to the winds at the loss of Richard, but had he instead stayed. It would be easier that way, and he would be able to get the unpleasant business out of the way faster. It did not take him long to return. He didn't even bother to attempt a covert approach as he simply strolled through the open gate. He feared for a moment that the survivors had left, but as he entered he spotted two people sitting just inside, Jacob and that warrior guy who was always around him. Hello, William, Jacob said, being the first to open his mouth. The warrior at his side silently observed. Well, hello there, Jacob, William answered, returning the man's smile. Been a while, eh? It has. I see that you have healed up all right. You looked terrible the last time I saw you. At that, William's eyes sharpened. Had Jacob found him on the battlefield? William didn't remember seeing him, which meant it had been during the first days when he was still blacked out. But if that was true, why hadn't he killed him? The man in front of him was also clearly not on guard at all. He was too damn relaxed. He couldn't help but use identify on him, and was instantly taken aback. Human, level thirty-seven. What the fuck, William thought to himself, as he lifted his guard instantly. He also identified the warrior, finding a level that at least wasn't much of a surprise. Human, level twenty-six. He had no idea what the hell had happened this last week. 
What had the otherwise utterly useless manager done to become so strong? And his previous comment also vexed him. So he went to the battlefield, William asked, the mana in his body churning, ready to strike at a moment's notice. I did, but I am not talking about your injuries. You look confused last I saw you, distracted, like you had lost something and that you had a wrong you had to make right, and from the looks of it, you have succeeded in doing so. Jacob was still smiling at the young man in front of him. I am happy that you have found yourself again. What the actual fuck is wrong with this guy? William questioned. He knew Jacob was many things, but stupid was not at the top of that list. Naive, idealistic, passive, pushover, all of those were on the list, but not stupid. He must know that William was the instigator of the slaughter that had happened, that he had been the one to kill Richard, and yet he just seemed not to care. William had thought a lot about desires for the last week, which made it natural for him to ask, What the hell do you want? Does it matter? You have clearly chosen your path already, and my wants won't change your actions. You have come here with a goal to accomplish, and my words will not dissuade you. So you are just going to sit there and die, or what, while I kill you and everyone else here? William asked, clearly annoyed, an annoyance that only got worse as the warrior didn't even react at the apparent threat, and Jacob just kept smiling. The others have already found their peace. I have no desire to die, but once again, my desires will not change the outcome. This is how it is meant to be. We can only hope to struggle against fate, and that hope is enough for me. I have altered the course slightly, made the transition ideal. Oh, really? William asked as his mana churned. Without warning, a colossal saw blade was fired out from his hand, hitting the warrior. The warrior just tilted his neck upwards, displaying only a faint smile as the saw blade cut his head off. But before the severed head even hit the ground, his entire body turned to light that entered Jacob. William didn't get a kill notification. Sorry, William, he does not die so easily. As long as I live, he will return to my side once more after a while, Jacob said, answering the question the teenager had yet to ask. He didn't even try to hide the sadness at seeing his bodyguard die, even if he claimed it was not permanent. William had a strong feeling the guy was just bullshitting, as he knew this was not a fight they could ever win. Even with all the survivors in the camp, it would only be a one-sided slaughter. They should all know that, yet William just felt weird about the entire situation. Oh, yeah? And what about the others? William asked, trying to wrest back some semblance of control of the odd encounter. He felt like he was just doing precisely what the fucker in front of him expected from beginning to end, a feeling he definitely did not desire. As I said, Faye joined me earlier, Jacob said, as he summoned a lantern. Around it, many motes of light flew. Forty-five motes, to be exact. William instantly opened the tutorial panel with his mind and widened his eyes at the number. Total survivors remaining, three of twelve hundred. Wow! And people call me a psycho. You already killed them all. William whistled. He honestly hadn't looked forward to killing them. The thought of it alone made his still slightly rampant emotions protest annoyingly. So it was a welcome surprise that Jacob was just another hypocrite that... No, that wasn't necessary. They simply accepted the inevitable and agreed to join me in reaching for a fate above their station. They put their hopes in me a burden I agreed to carry happily, with a promise of deliverance to the Holy Land. Jacob got up. 
William considered attacking at the sudden movement, but felt not an ounce of threat from the man in front of him. Come with me, Jacob said as he motioned for William to follow, which he did, partly out of curiosity and partly out of some weird power compelling him to trust the man in front of him, a power which he was very aware of, but only piqued his interest more. They walked to the middle of the base, where he saw a sight he hadn't expected. Forty-five people sat with their legs crossed in the square, all of them pale with a smile on their lips. Not an ounce of life remained in any of them, yet not a single wound could be seen anywhere. In front was a woman William clearly remembered to be a colleague of Jacob's, but she too sat lifelessly. I spared everyone from the unnecessary pain this act would bring, Jacob said. I apologize for making the decision without you, and I hope my death can help alleviate any frustrations. My only request is that you make it quick. I know my own fate, but I have never been a big fan of pain. William only got more and more confused, and he walked into some freaking Kool-Aid drinking cult. The people were clearly deader than dead, and not a single one of them seemed to give a hoot based on their facial expressions. So, that is it. You are just offering up your neck, William asked, standing a few steps behind Jacob. William, you have already found a path. Your path. I cannot say if it is one towards oblivion or greatness, but it is yours. I have nowhere to guide you, and I doubt I would be able to even if I tried. You already have a teacher who can offer you far more than I ever can. Jacob turned to look at the teenager. Besides, would you spare me if I struggled? That quest won't be completed on its own. You are fucking weird, Jacob. You know that, right? Just so you know, this isn't personal. A spear appeared in William's hand, and he stabbed through the head of the man in front of him. It pierced right through and out the other side as the curse within started turning Jacob to metal, a process far harder than William expected since the curse struggled against the augur's high vitality and willpower. But with Jacob not struggling in the least, the curse quickly found purchase and transformed the still-smiling man into a statue. You have slain Human, E, level 37, Augur of Hope, level 50, Novice Taylor, level 24, 94,541 TP earned. William didn't feel an ounce of satisfaction from the kill. He did, however, take notice of the notification. First was the class, Augur, he couldn't quite remember exactly what that word meant, but he was pretty sure it was religious or something. At least the guy had been preachy as fuck. The second part was the lack of experience gain. Why hadn't he gained any fr— Just as he thought this, the statue before him lit up with light. Its surface cracked and exploded as light consumed the entire camp. A beam descended as William was knocked back, knocked back but unharmed. The final thing he saw before all light disappeared was a figure floating up, and for a brief moment the entire outer area of the tutorial was covered in darkness. Once light returned, he saw that the metalized statue of Jacob was gone. All of the corpses of the crafters had also turned to dust. William stood confused, wondering what the fuck was going on. What a peculiar fellow, he thought, actually finding the developments welcome. At least it was interesting, and he had a feeling he would meet the augur again sometime in the future. Checking the number of survivors, he saw what he expected. No surprises there, at least. Total survivors remaining, two of twelve hundred. This tutorial's final curtains were drawing closer, 
and with that the true protagonist of this trial was soon to be found, and William was more than confident that he would be the one standing in the end. Only a single afterthought remained, a single challenger. A lone archer William didn't even see as a threat, just another bullet point to get checked off. Tutorial Panel Duration 13 days and 23 hours, 51 minutes, 10 seconds. He had plenty of time to accomplish his task, because if William's dreams had made one thing clear, it was that this tutorial was his stage. Chapter 12 Into the Dark The first thing that struck him was the smell, an all-encompassing stench that seemed to mask any other scent. Jake was happy that perception didn't just straight up make his sense of smell more potent, or he might have just fallen over and died there and then. At least he would have wished that he was dead. The second thing he noticed was that the unnatural darkness persisted even within the dungeon. Jake couldn't see a single thing, no matter what he tried or did. It was clearly magical, though he couldn't find any immediate explanation. The notification upon entering did help inform him why the smell was there, at least. You have entered the dungeon, the Forgotten Sewers. Objective, defeat the Nest Watcher. He didn't even bother questioning how he had gone from a mountain to a sewer. Dungeons obviously didn't exist physically in the world outside, but were some kind of alternate space, a bit like his spatial storage, just on a far grander scale. He had already gone to an old temple during the Challenge Dungeon, so a sewer wasn't that far off. What did surprise him, however, was how modern the notion of a sewer like this was. It also didn't seem to have much to do with beasts at all. There wasn't any noticeable movement in his sphere either. The only thing of note was the dripping water from the ceiling and small water streams running across the floor in places. While Jake couldn't see anything with his eyes, he could still see plenty through his sphere of perception. It was, however, affected. When it was at its max range at nearly thirty meters, everything felt murky. The air itself looked almost liquid, obscuring everything. It was manna, extremely dense manna, and the manna wasn't the pure kind Jake was used to, but altered in some way. If he had to make an educated guess, he would say that it was dark affinity manna, or maybe shadow affinity manna, or something like that. What mattered was the effect of it. It obscured sight completely, making anyone in it blind. Jake decided to try creating some light as he took out some wood from his spatial storage. His alchemical flame didn't produce much light, but heat it made plenty of, allowing him to set fire to the wooden stick quickly. The wood caught fire, and a flame sprang forth. But that was where the expected stopped. It clearly burned, and he could see the flame. The light, however, was seemingly contained within the flame itself, like a dark barrier blocked any light from reaching beyond the flickering fire. He tried putting his hand into the fire, and it only got eerier. It was like a vacuum of light appeared wherever his hand was. He didn't see his hand, but merely a black, hand-shaped object enter. It was as if the concept of light itself wasn't allowed to exist. Was that the gimmick of this dungeon, that one had to do it in absolute blindness? While it wasn't optimal, Jake would be able to manage with his sphere, but he had to do something about the murkiness. He closed his eyes, more out of habit than function, focusing on the sphere. He had done so many times before, either extending the range slightly or, as he did currently, limiting the range. 
30 meters quickly became 25, 21, 18, 16, 13, 11, 10. When it reached around 10 meters, Jake stopped as everything was now far clearer. Like putting on prescription glasses, everything had turned from a blurry outline to nearly perfect once more. He could now finally begin to inspect the details around him. While he couldn't see them, he could easily guess from their shapes what everything was. He also became aware that it wasn't because his sphere couldn't see through the darkness, but because it could see too much of it. The manor was so dense it started flowing together, but with his sphere reduced in size he could far more easily distinguish the physical objects from the dense manor. The walls were made of bricks, the floor beneath him made up of cracked and dirty tiles, while the ceiling above was arched. Overall, he would call it a very stereotypical sewer. He started walking forward as he got more used to the new environment. Weirdly enough, he actually liked the darkness. It felt comfortable, like a warm summer breeze. He didn't like the whole not-seeing part and the horrible stench, but otherwise it could be worse. After walking less than ten meters, his fear picked up something ahead. A crossroads. There was a hallway leading to both the right and the left. He could also just continue onward, but this did make him stop and think. Oh, God, is this a damn maze? Jake cursed internally as he stood in the middle of the crossroads. Why the hell did it have to be a maze? All the damn hallways were identical, with not a single sign of enemies or any markings anywhere. So Jake did what any reasonable person would do when in a maze, and went left. Not because of anything particular, he just kind of had to pick left. He had decided to go with the age-old method of just always turning left and following the left wall until he found the exit, if the dungeon had an exit. While it wasn't the fastest method, it was far safer than just walking around randomly. Besides, it wasn't like he had to slowly walk all the time. Picking up the pace, he started running through the sewer as he stuck to the left wall. It didn't even take him a minute and a few hundred meters before he encountered a change. On the wall was a pipe of some sort. It was rather large, easily big enough for Jake to walk through if he lowered his head a bit. The thing about it that made him stop, however, was what lay within it. A four-legged figure was within the pipe, less than a meter from the entrance. It was unfurred, with two big front teeth sticking out of its mouth. The rest of its face was just two big holes for its nose. It didn't have eyes or ears from what Jake could observe. As he inspected the unmoving beast in his sphere, he got the thought to try and identify it. The skill didn't specify that one needed to use one's eyes to identify something. It was just the most natural thing, and he had never needed to not just look at whatever he identified. He focused on the beast as he mentally tried using the skill. It didn't work at first, but it was like a switch flipped, and suddenly the skill reacted. Mole Rat Creeper, Level 76 The first thing he was a bit taken aback by was the level... It was as high as the white does and nearly as high as the den mother had been. Of course, he also had to consider other factors. The mole rat was alone, and the level wasn't everything to consider when determining how strong a beast was. It was still pretty high, though. More annoying, though, was the layout of the maze. Jake had no conceivable way to attack the beast from range. In front of the pipe was a wall only a few meters away, and there was only one way forward or going back from where he came. It was pretty clear from the mole rat's posture that it was sitting in ambush as the nose rose up and down slightly. It had likely already detected Jake long before he noticed it, 
and was now just waiting for him to get closer. Jake thought for a bit before he pulled out his bow. The beast didn't have any ears from what he could see, but maybe it could still hear somehow. He raised his bow and, as silently as possible, knocked an arrow. He carefully pulled back the string and fired a wheat arrow, aiming for the wall in front of the pipe. The arrow flew out and hit the stone, making a very audible clink echo through the entire tunnel. Jake gritted his teeth at the noise, while the mole rat only seemed to slightly raise its nose a bit more. Both blind and deaf, Jake noted mentally. Likely their only way of perceiving anything was through smell. Of course, it was also entirely possible that they had some kind of extrasensory ability. Jake decided to take the risk and started walking forward as if he hadn't noticed the rat. He walked at the wall opposite of the pipe as he got right in front of it, his already poisoned dagger and sword ready. The instant he did, the beast lunged forward. Of course, Jake was ready. He instantly stepped backward, making it smash into the wall. It clearly hadn't expected him to do that, as it seemed to hurt itself quite a bit. His next action didn't leave it much room to maneuver. He attacked it with his dagger and sword. It didn't even manage to collect itself before it got several deep cuts. It jumped backward, losing half of its snout in the process. However, it was Jake's time to be surprised when the beast attacked him again. What surprised him was the precision of its attack and how it aimed straight for his neck. It clearly couldn't see anything, and yet it managed to go for his jugular somehow. With its snout cut off, he also doubted it could smell anything. So how the hell did it see him? Was it magic? It hadn't used any magical skills yet, making Jake doubt it. He wrestled a bit with the beast, kicking it back once more. He didn't finish it off, as he was more interested in learning how it located him. He tried jumping back into the side, but it followed him quickly. Jake tried a few different things. His first thought was that it somehow detected mana. He tried to summon a ball of strings in his hand, but found it quite challenging to do for some reason. He eventually managed to do it anyway, but the mana consumption was way above average. Something for later, he noted mentally. What was most important was that it didn't seem to react to his mana at all. It just continued its frenzied assault. He tried a few other things before summoning his alchemical flame. He instantly felt the beast focus on his hand as it attempted to bite it off. Smiling in self-satisfaction, Jake rushed forward, no longer wasting his time with the wounded beast. A solid stab to the heart later, the rat stopped moving, followed by a kill notification. It was the heat. The beast could see his body heat despite the dark affinity mana. It was an evident strength, but also a massive weakness if exploited, something he was happy to do. He continued onwards for a while until he came across yet another pipe. This one had two creepers within it, though. It didn't matter much to him, as the things weren't all that strong, weaker than the white does by far, despite the similar levels. Standing ten meters away, he took out his bow and got an arrow from the quiver, the conjured arrows imitated reality very well, even to the point of the wood being flammable. His flame sprang forth on his hand as he ignited the arrow. He could clearly see the rats react within the hole, as they seemed very interested in what he was doing. Firing the arrow at the wall, as he had tried with the last rat, this time he got the response he wanted. Both beasts jumped out towards the arrow without hesitation, and Jake followed up with a splitting arrow. The creatures discovered nearly instantly that they had been bamboozled, but his feint had bought enough time for them to be peppered with arrows. 
Ten meters didn't seem like a lot, but in a relatively narrow tunnel it sure as hell wasn't when a dozen or so arrows were flying at you at once. Both beasts were hit with arrow after arrow as they attempted to rush towards him. One died before it even reached him, while the second one fell shortly after. Of course, he had remembered to poison the arrows beforehand, only the best for his new creepy rat friends. Moving on, he thought about how one was meant to do this normally, without his sphere, that is, unless one had some powerful light affinity item or... Oh. Oh. Jake smacked himself mentally as he looked into his storage and fished out an item he had collected plenty of, a small stone he had found within one of the many ponds in the Lucenti Plains. The moment it appeared, the darkness was pushed back for nearly two meters around him as light and color returned. There was only one minor problem. The stone hurt to hold, and it only took a few seconds before it ran out of energy and became inert. Jake assumed he could channel more mana into it to make more light, but sadly he couldn't do that, as the light affinity and he clearly didn't get along. Besides, he actually preferred the total darkness. It felt more comfortable than the light affinity mana given off by the stones. Throwing the broken rock on the ground, he moved on, focusing on his sphere and the dense mana all around him. Well, maybe this isn't going to be that bad after all, Jake thought to himself, as he continued onward, following the left wall, of course. The archer had been there, corpses on the ground all around, badgers dead in droves, an entire valley cleared out, in fact. William had entered the inner area right after getting rid of Jacob. He couldn't help but frown when he entered. He found many corpses after searching around for a bit, many of them killed days, maybe even more than a week ago. The tutorial panel still showed two people alive, and William refused to believe it not to be that bastard Jake. But after searching for a long time, he didn't find anyone. Not wanting to waste much time, he, of course, began grinding some levels. Being level 54 in his class, William didn't gain that much experience from the lesser beasts he encountered, but he managed to make do with sheer numbers. He started clearing the valleys and mountains one by one. Like a meat grinder, he slaughtered everything living he saw. Eventually, he found himself before a hole in one of the five weird mountains, a tunnel of some kind, clearly. This was the smallest mountain with all the badgers around it, and William couldn't help but inspect what might be found inside. Within, he noticed a door sitting in the middle of it all, a totally out-of-place wooden door. Floating down by manipulating his armor, he landed in front of it and inspected it for a while. Summoning a sword from the armory in his armor, he tried pushing the door open. It didn't work, as the sword couldn't even touch the door, as if a force field surrounded it, less than an inch from its surface. William tried a few other things before poking it with his finger. When he did so and saw the system message, he couldn't help but make a giant grin, and with a thought, he disappeared into the badger's den. Chapter 13 The Right Way Jake walked through the shithole that dared call itself a dungeon with sloppy steps. Once in a while, a damn rat jumped out at him before swiftly being executed. He had stopped caring about elaborate tactics many hours ago. The first few hours went fine and all. Shoot a burning arrow, kill rats, repeat. It got a bit tedious after the tenth time, sure, but Jake kept it up. The experience was frankly shit compared to what he had gotten in both of the other two dungeons. 
He had kept up his tactic of following the left wall all along, but he felt like he was getting nowhere. That was until he saw the corpse of a rat he had slain earlier, meaning he had started circling back again. Jake kept going, however, thinking at worst he was just going to end up at the crossroads around the beginning of the dungeon. It was as expected when he came across a bunch more corpses, but it started getting weird after that. Taking a few turns, he found living rats, which he quickly got rid of. A few minutes later, he once more found himself in front of the same dead rats from earlier. Jake began marking the walls here and there, something he should have likely done far earlier. It took him hours of walking, seeing his signs left behind at times, but when he came across his first sign for the second time in an hour, he started to realize that something was well and truly off. After several more fruitless hours, he finally found the problem. The damn walls were moving, or at least something made the layout change all the time. In other words, following the left wall had proven not to be a foolproof strategy. He had to find some other way out, and sooner rather than later. He was still on a timer if he had any hope of facing the king of the forest. Two days had already passed since he entered. It wasn't all bad, though. Jake had managed to gain two levels during those two days. It was far less than the other dungeons, sure, but it was something. Still faster than the outside, too, probably. The darkness was a bit tiring, though. This had put him at level 59, only a single level away from his next class skill gain. He couldn't help but be hopeful of unlocking something akin to his moment of the primal hunter once more. His speed had been fast, if he said so himself, even considering the bullshit that was this dungeon. But he had a strong feeling he shouldn't bank on getting random legendary skill upgrades. The rest of his time, he had just spent trying to practice with his mana threads. They were far harder to summon in here, as the mana in the air seemed to suppress it. It made him consume far more mana than usual, and made the threads disappear the instant he stopped focusing on them. Weirdly enough, he hadn't needed to drink a single mana potion, though. For some reason, his mana regenerated far faster within the dungeon than outside, likely because of the high mana density, he theorized. He also began to be able to make his threads of mana last longer and longer, he wanted to find a way to let his threads remain in the air without him having to provide them with massive amounts of mana continually. The method he was trying was to make use of the mana in the atmosphere. He would do this by mimicking the mana, allowing his own to survive within it, maybe even tap into the mana around him to be self-sustainable if he really outdid himself. So far, it was actually looking promising. Jake seemed to slowly adapt to the environment as the dark affinity mana became more familiar to him. Another thing he practiced was his senses. He had relied overly much on his sphere and sight for the entire tutorial he had begun realizing. If he was in an environment where the sphere got completely suppressed along with his sight, he would have no recourse at all. Which was why he also tried using his hearing and, with much suffering, his sense of smell. The mole rats could somehow smell him despite the all-encompassing stench permeating the sewers. He wanted to see if he could replicate some of that. It had been less than successful, especially on the smelling side. Jake had started getting used to the stench, but whenever he tried to focus on his sense of smell, he felt like someone threw a stink bomb in his face. In the hearing department, he had made some more progress, though. He had gotten better at zoning out unnecessary noise, but it was far from having any practical applications yet. But as he had fuck all else to do while walking through the shitty maze, he decided to at least be constructive. The one thing he wanted to avoid was not doing anything. 
Not doing anything meant that he had time to think about things he didn't want to think about. Distracting thoughts unrelated to his current goal of defeating the four beast lords and finally the king of the forest. And that was something he wanted to avoid at all cost. He continued his multitasking practice as he kept himself entirely occupied both mentally and physically while walking. He decided to ignore his stay on the left strategy and switched to a just-go-wherever strategy, which turned out to actually help, as in only a few hours he found himself back at the crossroads he had first chosen to go left at. He decided to check the dungeon's entrance and found it exactly where it had been before. However, he didn't even consider exiting. He had come here to defeat the dungeon boss, cost what it may. So he turned back and delved into the dungeon once more. He didn't turn left this time, but decided just to sit down and meditate at the crossroads. He wanted to learn how to properly control his strings before he continued. So, with his full focus on the dark mana around him, he entered meditation. Countless strings of mana sprang out from his entire body, and he began formulating a plan. He walked through the grand hall with a relaxed smile on his face, a silent guardian walking by his side, marveling at his surroundings. As fate would have it, Jacob had not perished, but he still instantly knew that he was no longer in the tutorial. He had failed it, if one could say that. His tutorial panel was still there, but was inactive. He had lost half of his tutorial points, not that there were many of them to begin with, and he could no longer see the number of survivors. The only thing he could see was his amount of points and the countdown for it to end. Not that he ultimately cared much for the entire tutorial. In fact, he was happy to no longer be there. He was unsure what his future would be like, but he was looking forward to whatever was ahead. After leaving, he had tried to divine the future, but it had been far too vague for him to see anything, confirming to him that the tutorial had been abnormal. As to how he had survived, his legendary skill one more light. He was still unsure exactly how it had worked, but hadn't felt everything suddenly becoming black after he died. He'd instead been surrounded by light. After what could have been hours or days, he found himself standing on a magic circle. His spirit form was enveloped by light as he once more returned to life. Shortly after reviving, a slight tug was felt in the back of his mind. He responded to it since he knew exactly what, or more precisely, who, it was. His mana, health, and stamina all drained down to less than half as it poured into an outline of a tall man beside him. It didn't take long for the process to complete and Bertram to appear. They had one minor problem, though. Both men stood naked, clothes apparently not being transferable across realms in the form of a spirit. A problem that was quickly resolved as they looked around the room they had appeared in. Everything was made of what appeared to be pure white marble, with only golden motifs and patterns as decorations. There was nothing really in the room, except for two white robes lying on a small table right in front of the circle. Jacob and Bertram took the hint by getting dressed and walking out of the room, then walking through the hall. Bertram looked all around him, while Jacob simply felt genuinely relaxed and serene for the first time in a while. Does this whole resurrection thing mean you are immortal? asked Bertram after a while. Pretty sure being immortal means not dying of old age, something I am pretty sure I still will, Jacob answered jokingly. Very funny. You know what I mean. Bertram didn't seem as amused by the joke as his young master. No, I won't simply be able to cheat death once more. 
The skill was called One More Life for a reason. It only works once. I still have the skill, but I can feel that I would truly die if I were to die once more. Maybe things will change later, but for now I am as mortal as anyone else. Disappointing, Bertram grunted, as they continued walking in silence. The hall was long, far too long for what could be considered reasonable. Then again, it was likely not made with weak mortals like Jacob and Bertram in mind. Countless rooms were on either side of the hall, all closed off by shut doors. They didn't try to enter any of them. It was faint, but they both felt the call from the end of the hall. Something, or someone, was making it very clear that they were supposed to go there. So they did. Half an hour later, they found themselves exiting the hallway as they entered yet another, somehow far grander, room. Golden chandeliers hung from the ceiling. There was a tiled white floor and furniture that looked to be made of silk. The most interesting thing, however, was the walls. All of the walls were either covered by indentations of bookcases or beautiful floor-to-ceiling paintings, all depicting female figures in an abstract style. The paintings gave off a strong feeling as they stared at them, and he felt himself be drawn in by the absolute beauty of the artistry. In particular, they both stared at one showing a woman in a yellow robe surrounded by children. However, even more powerful than the artistry of the piece was the strong manner and aura given off by the painting, giving him a feeling of relaxation and inspiration. A fine piece, is it not? A voice spoke out behind them. Turning, Jacob and Bertram saw a woman in a white robe, not much unlike their own. Her appearance could only be compared to the beautiful paintings around them, with her perfect, unblemished face and long blonde hair. Indeed it is, Jacob said, quickly collecting himself. Not because of her beauty, but because of how much she resembled Caroline, almost eerily so. A gift by my sister. I will be sure to share your admiration with her next we meet. She smiled. Perhaps she would even gift you one in appreciation. I am unworthy of such a kindness, Miss Priestess Inera she answered as she bowed slightly. It has been a while since anyone arrived here, everyone being busy with the initiation and all. Jacob raised his eyebrows, but kept his composure as he joked, Apologies, I still had a bit of dying to do. What? she said, clearly quite confused by the guest. What happened? Complications. No biggie, he answered, as he touched his forehead where the spear had gone through. Not a pleasant experience, I must say, but enough about me. Could you tell me what we are here for? Oh, yes, sorry, I was just distracted a bit. She scrambled over to one of the desks to pick up a weird-looking gem. Where did you say you come from? It is unusual for new members to come here directly. I haven't seen you before, so I assume you are new, right? Oh, but I also just started, so if you have been here before, I am so sorry. Jacob was amused by her panicking. He had spent far too many years around people faking everything about themselves, and he could tell that the girl in front of him was genuine. Of course, it only got more comical considering her aura. Jacob couldn't feel it clearly, but she was stronger than him, and not just by a bit. He felt a bit of suppression from her, but managed to keep his calm, a lot better than the sweating Bertram, at least. I came from the tutorial, Jacob answered, not thinking much of it. Huh? She turned her head with a look of shock. What? What tutorial? The one run by the system, dear, the man's voice interrupted as yet another figure entered the room. 
It was a tall man, nearly two and a half meters tall, who made even the tall Bertram appear tiny. He looked not a day older than Jacob himself and was solidly built, muscles practically brimming beneath his simple clothes. What was more noticeable was his aura, far beyond anything Jacob had ever felt before. Grandmaster, Enara spurted out, bowing deeply. Jacob was about to repeat her action when the man stopped him. There is no need for that, Olga, the man said, as he stopped Jacob from bowing. By the will of the Pantheon, I am to be of assistance until it is time for you to return to your own universe once more. He motioned to the still-bowing priestess. I believe you have already met my daughter. With a nod, Jacob confirmed, as the man continued. Our time is short, so let us not delay. Over the next few days we shall prepare you for your return and study. Let us together bring the glory of the Holy Church to the ninety-third universe and spread the word of our Holy Mother. Jacob felt an almost magical pull from the words, but resisted it. No, not yet. The Grand Master looked at the auger, confused for a moment, before Jacob summoned a lantern with forty-five motes of light floating around it. I have done as I was meant to, and now it is time for you to do what you have promised. The Grand Master seemed confused as to whom the orders spoke. We can handle this at an opportune time, but for now it's more important to— No, Jacob answered. Ding! Class, Auger of Hope has reached level fifty-one, stat points allocated, plus eight free points. We made a deal. Ding! Class, Auger of Hope has reached level fifty-two, stat points allocated, plus eight free points. Ding! Race Human, E, has reached level thirty-eight, stat points allocated, plus five free points. His aura soared as the Grand Master finally became aware of who the Auger spoke to. His face went white, and then red as his eyes were wide at the audacity. I am aware of the pact, but as unblessed mortals, they will first need to— I didn't make any deal with you, Jacob said, dismissing him as he looked towards one of the paintings on the wall. I made it with you. Ding! Class Auger of Hope has reached level fifty-three, stat points allocated, plus eight free points. A divine aura spread in the room as the Grand Master, Inera, and Bertram were all brought to their knees, only the latter against his will. The motes of light stirred as they entered the largest painting, the one depicting the Holy Mother herself. Not long after, each of the motes disappeared. Ding! Class, Auger of Hope has reached level fifty-four, stat points allocated, plus eight free points. Ding! Race, Human, E, has reached level thirty-nine. Stat points allocated, plus five free points. Jacob smiled as he saw the final wisp disappear, and he knew he had done his part. While he could not save their bodies, he had at least saved their souls. Fate had been realized, even if it was an unpleasant one. Ding! Class Auger of Hope has reached level fifty-five. Stat points allocated, plus eight free points. Pleasure doing business with you, he said towards the painting smiling as the divine aura faded, leaving him the only one able to remain standing. Now, let us prepare for what's to come. Chapter 14 Dark Manor and Dark Tunnels The darkness permeated his entire being as he sat in meditation. His regeneration was far higher than it had ever been before as the manna poured into him, 
Meanwhile, tendrils of dark mana spread throughout the hallway, making him look like some eldritch octopus with tiny arms. Occasionally, his entire body would turn into a shadowy, ethereal figure for a few moments, until it returned to being flesh and blood once more. Three whole days had passed without Jake moving a single finger. The tendrils of dark mana were, however, more active than ever before. They wrapped themselves into different shapes and sizes as they reached further and further away from him. Jake opened his eyes once more as he looked forward. Yes, he looked. The darkness that had blinded him now only seemed like a mist, slightly obscuring everything. At the same time, his sphere expanded back to its usual thirty meters, functioning nearly the same as outside the dungeon. Everything had finally clicked as he began to comprehend the mana around him better. Unlike the mana he was used to, this mana was oppressive and consuming, far less accommodating to whoever or whatever resided within it. Raising his hand, he tried gathering the mana into the shape of a ball. Strings of mana sprang up in his palm as they rung around each other, forming his desired shape a few moments later. Throwing it at the wall, he smiled as the ball persisted even after losing contact with him. It did start fading, but it existed long enough to strike the wall and dissolve into a puff of smoke. Inspecting it further, he felt it had left a small mark, meaning it hadn't been entirely harmless. While it was useless in combat, it did mark him passing a huge milestone. He had tried to imitate the mana bolt he remembered the caster's making and had succeeded somewhat, which had in turn helped prove his theory he could make things from mana even without a skill. The fact that he could make dark mana wasn't to say he couldn't make normal mana anymore. His mana was still innately the same pure mana, he had just found a way to change its affinity, and it wasn't like the transformation was seamless. He had the tendrils of darkness active all the time because of the time-consuming process involved in changing the affinity of his mana. It wasn't as quickly done as just thinking about it. It was more akin to doing alchemy, where he had to change the energy's nature to either restore health or stamina. Of course, there were differences, but his starting point had been that thought, and it appeared that by understanding the mana, he could better adapt his body and senses to it. Naturally, it also helped that the mana was passive, merely existing in the atmosphere. It didn't have any intent baked into it, unlike what would happen if someone used a skill with dark mana. If, for example, someone made an area filled with dark mana like the dungeon Jake was in, it would still blind and affect him. It would be less than a few days ago, but it would still work. As the mana was passive, it also meant that it didn't fight back when Jake tried to consume it to regenerate his mana pool faster. In fact, the dark mana was even more comfortable to absorb than the mana outside. His fastest regeneration had still been while he was in the Challenge Dungeon, though, and he was starting to suspect that it had something to do with the affinity of the atmospheric mana. The mana in the sewers was made up nearly entirely of the dark affinity, and whatever wasn't would quickly be consumed by it. Jake had observed the mana in his alchemical flame being consumed, as well as the lightstones he'd tested out a few days prior. It reminded him of what he had read and encountered during all his practice for alchemy. The reason why one had to use purified water while making potions was twofold. First of all, one purified it to eliminate any impurities, and second of all to remove whatever affinity the mana in the water held, which pretty much always meant removing any water mana within. Water inherently held water mana, and a fire had fire mana, and so on and so forth. 
This didn't mean all the mana in those objects was of that affinity, but some of it would often be. Most mana everywhere was still pure mana, and the mana in the air was ordinarily just pure affinityless mana. That the forest outside would hold mana other than just pure mana was just a logical conclusion, but it likely wasn't as pervasive as the dark mana, and didn't have the nature of consuming light and other kinds of mana, but it did mean that if the mana weren't compatible with him, he wouldn't be able to absorb it, hence regenerating mana slower. The mana outside was clearly less compatible with him than the mana in here. Luckily, the vast majority was still pure, making it only a slight annoyance in retrospect. If he had to guess, then he would say a lot of the mana outside was nature affinity. It would make sense with him not able to use the great sword of nature and the description he had gotten from the nature affinity skill. Ultimately, this resulted in Jake concluding that he had the darkness affinity. At least, manipulating dark mana was something he could do. Jake shook his head as he returned to the matter at hand and attached several strings of mana to the walls around him. By now, hundreds of strands of mana were flowing through the air, waving as if weightless. He began walking down the sinful path as the strings stretched behind him. Every now and then he placed one of his strings on the wall or floor. He didn't run since he still focused on maintaining his connection with the lines and feeling for any changes. After fifteen minutes such a change occurred as one of his strings moved unexpectedly. He kept track of it as he felt it move around, suddenly appearing somewhere entirely else. It had to be noted that the walls were solid, and when Jake said solid he meant solid. Their thickness was more than his sphere, meaning that there were at least thirty meters of solid material. In other words, dungeon fuckery was going on, a subcategory of the almighty system fuckery. As he walked, he felt more and more strings move. They were the earliest ones he had placed, and it was almost like they were following him, like the dungeon moved together with him as he moved, a suspicion that was all but confirmed as he continued moving forward. When he briefly tried backtracking, the strings' mana didn't move but stayed where they were. But this didn't mean he could just start walking back the way he came and end up at the entrance. He felt his string's mana not just move straight towards him, but also shift slightly in height and verticality, which meant that the layout was shuffling behind him. Did this mean that he could potentially randomly reach the exit by just wandering around? He doubted it, but he couldn't rule it out. Along the way he encountered several rats sitting about in the tunnel. They all fell quickly, as Jake didn't pay them much attention. He had no interest in prolonged fights. They would only make it harder to maintain control of the mana. He did, however, take note of one thing, the only thing that marked any real difference in the layout, the pipes. Jake peered into one with his sphere and found it continuing into the wall more than he could see. Jake stood in front of one for a while but decided to not climb in one just yet. Instead, he placed a string of mana on it as he continued onward. Nothing more of interest happened, until he finally felt a reaction from the string on the pipe. It suddenly started vibrating. Then his connection to it snapped. It was as if the pipe had simply disappeared. It hadn't moved like the rest of the dungeon, but simply ceased to be. Jake had an idea, but decided to continue forward, and to no surprise he found yet another pipe shortly after. This one didn't have any rats in it, a regular occurrence, but he felt something familiar. A small vestige of his own mana was still on the pipe and had nearly been consumed by the all-encompassing dark mana around it. If he hadn't spent three days focusing solely on feeling his own mana, he would have missed it. 
The pipe hadn't disappeared. It had moved instantly. Does this mean there's only a single pipe? He asked himself as he stood before it. He decided to finally just climb into the dumb pipe. It was small and dirty, and he quite frankly didn't want to, but it was the only thing that seemed to act differently than everything else. It had to be the key to continuing onwards. Climbing into it, the first thing he noticed was the stench that seemed to be even worse within the pipe. The bottom of it was covered in a steady stream of water, with the entire thing being perfectly circular. It was difficult to move through, as getting a grip on the sides was hard, and he could barely crawl on his hands and knees while within it. But he soldiered on as he kept focus on his strings behind him. Ten meters in, and none of them had reacted. The same with twenty and thirty meters. When he was forty meters in or so, something did happen, but not with the strings. In front of him, his sphere picked up a figure moving at him, fast. Jake barely had time to summon his dagger before the rat reached him, mouth open and teeth aiming straight for his head. He somehow managed to avoid it in the small enclosed space by lowering his head, smashing it into the water stream below. At the same time, he stabbed forward with his dagger at an awkward angle, hitting the rat in its shoulder and making it squeal in anger. The blow seemed to do little more than make it angry. It snapped forward once more. However, it didn't miss as Jake felt its jaws close around his shoulder and the teeth sink in deeper. Relying on his instinct, he pushed a leg forward as he pushed himself upwards, pressing the beast into the top of the pipe, thinning it. Its mouth was still open and its teeth deep in his shoulder, resulting in the bite doing far more damage. But it did also mean that the beast was stuck. Jake started stabbing the rat with a hand that wasn't hanging limp from the bite. It tried to retaliate with its claws, but they were too short and weak to lend anything more than a few scratches. He kept stabbing again and again until the notification appeared. He released the pressure on his leg as he collapsed to the side. The damn rat was still stuck in his shoulder, so he lifted it out, seeing the teeth slowly exit his deep wound. Throwing the dead beast to the side, he winced in pain. Drinking a healing potion, he felt the calm energy enter his body as his wound started healing. He wanted to take a break badly, but he also knew it wouldn't be a good idea. If one rat could come through the pipe, who was to say there couldn't come more? In the enclosed space, he didn't even feel confident in escaping if he somehow got swarmed. To make the situation even worse, his bow was longer than the pipe was broad, meaning he couldn't use it in there even if he wanted to. Climbing further, he kept notice of his strings as he moved forward as fast as he could. It was a bit hard with one of his arms to a weak and healing, but he managed to suppress the pain. The damn rats also had some kind of magic imbued in their bites. It wasn't poison, but something else, possibly a curse or some kind of dark mana spell. Either way, it was annoying, but manageable. Luckily, he wasn't attacked again before he saw the end of the pipe. It quickly exited it and scanned the area he now found himself in. It was identical to the sewer he had come from, but he knew there was a difference. His strings of mana were still attached on the other side of the pipe, which meant this new area wasn't merely a reshuffling of the old. It was somewhere new, which meant he had progressed. I hate this fucking dungeon, Jake cursed, as he began attaching even more strings of mana to the area around him. Oh, how he wished this area wasn't just a damn repeat of the other one. Luckily, the wish came true after walking for a while. On the ceiling ahead of him hung something, a beast with its claws embedded deep into the stone. 
Jake kept walking as if he hadn't noticed while he identified it. Mole Rat Snatcher, Level 71. The level wasn't anything notable, and the aura it gave off wasn't any more substantial than any of the other rats. His shoulders still hurt, but against a single rat he should be able to manage either way. He didn't feel like using his bow either, so he just went forward with his dagger. As he got below the rat, it dropped down silently and tried to bite his head off. Jake quickly reacted by raising his venom fang, skewering the beast through its mouth. It tried to bite down on him anyway, but he quickly stepped to the side and kicked it into the wall. A follow-up stab and repeated kicks kept the thing down until he managed to finish it off. The rats were honestly just too weak. Jake would have to compare them to level 50 deer when it came to open combat. Of course, he had to commend their stealth skills, as he honestly would have never noticed them without his sphere. Even with his sight partially restored, he still didn't see the rat. It was as if his mind didn't register it before his sphere picked it up. After he was aware of its presence, he could suddenly see it as if it had been there all along. It likely possessed a powerful stealth skill. And if its ambush failed, it was weak and quickly finished off. Continuing onwards, he did find a few more snatchers, but he didn't even bother using his melee weapons. With thirty meters between them, he could easily pick it off with his bow before it had any chance to do anything. It was easy, and it was boring. At least another kind of beast spiced up the monotony a bit. He didn't see any new pipes even after nearly half an hour of walking. None of his strings had been moved either, which meant this part of the dungeon wasn't shuffling. His strings still did help a lot, though, as they helped him understand the layout better. He felt like he walked straight, but he was slightly curving to the left as he walked through the long tunnel. Jake felt that he would end up curving back to where he started if he continued straight ahead, so he began correcting it by taking turns whenever possible, and he felt like it made sense. This did mean that he at least covered new ground. He did feel his first strings from beyond the pipe start snapping after a while, but it wasn't because anything had happened to him or them, he just wasn't able to maintain them due to the distance. It wasn't a big deal, as it only helped confirm to him that he was progressing, a confirmation that only got stronger as he spotted something else new ahead. A room. Yes, not just another damn tunnel. Instead, the tunnel opened up to reveal a new area. Standing at the new entrance, he had to revise his assessment of it being a room. It was more akin to what had once been a water reservoir. Only a few centimeters of water remained at the bottom now, but it looked like it had once been a big basin. At the moment, he stood at an overlooking platform with stone steps leading down into it and a path all along the wall to either side. He couldn't see the end of the room with both his eyes and sphere, which meant it was a relatively huge place. As he moved another step forward, the tunnel behind him was cut off by a barrier of dark mana. Jake turned back abruptly as he touched it. However, he was quickly interrupted as he started hearing sounds of loud clattering from the empty basin below. Since entering the dungeon, his intuition had been annoyingly silent. He never got a feeling of which way was better or not, at least nothing he noticed. Yet now it made itself known to tell him the most obvious thing. This isn't good. Chapter 15 Many Rats Handle It The clattering got louder as Jake felt tensions rise. He summoned his bow and knocked an arrow, prepared for whatever might appear. He could hear the sound coming from the far end of the basin below. 
Whatever it was, it was coming from there. The barrier of mana felt completely impassable when he touched it, and it had also cut off his strings of mana. With even those strings cut off, he seriously doubted he had any way of getting through it even with Shadow Vault, which meant he was stuck with whatever was coming towards him. As the sound echoed, he saw the first sign of movement in his sphere. Dozens of small rats entered his sphere at once, heading towards the stairs leading up to him. Jake didn't even hesitate as he released a splitting arrow. He multitasked and identified one as he knocked another arrow. Mole Rat Swarmer, level 46. His first arrow gave him several kills, but it barely made a difference. Hundreds of the things inhabited the basin below and were all now swarming towards him. Jake managed to shoot four more splitting arrows, killing more than twenty rats before the first one reached him. He cursed his injured shoulder that had slowed down his speed as he summoned his sword and dagger. The first rat was cut cleanly in two as it jumped towards him, with the second one suffering a similar fate. They were all the size of common house cats, which made them huge for rats, but relatively small compared to anything else he had encountered so far. Five more rats died before one managed to slip through and tried to bite him on the lead. Its teeth didn't sink into flesh, as expected, but were stopped by the fur pants he wore. It still did some damage, but it failed to draw blood. This made Jake jump back from the pain as he attempted to keep the beasts at bay. Individually, they didn't pose a threat. Heck, a dozen didn't even matter to him. The issue was that he wasn't dealing with just a few dozen rats. In his sphere, he only saw more and more rats entering. It was as if an endless wave of rodents had been unleashed upon him, and if he didn't do anything, he would soon drown in it. The only thing giving him any respite currently was the limited space on the stairs leading up to him, but even that advantage was slowly being removed as the endless stream of rats started piling up below, all trying to climb towards him. Rats also began ascending the walls of the basin below, slowly closing in from his flanks. He was well and truly surrounded. The only place with no attackers was behind him, where the barrier blocked him off. He cut them down one after another until he could no longer keep them all at bay. A rat slipped through and was about to land a bite on his stomach when a set of black scales appeared and blocked it. Instead, its teeth chipped as if it had tried to bite steel. Jake no longer held anything back as he covered his upper body in scales. His pants and boots protected his legs and feet, but his exposed upper body needed protection badly. His blade and dagger danced through the air in a reckless assault to anything around him. He no longer focused on defense, but only on killing anything in his vicinity. He instantly started to feel the mannered brain. While the rats couldn't bite through his scales, they still wore them down and forced him to spend mana repairing and maintaining them. It was unsustainable in the long run, but for now it was still manageable. Minutes passed, but it felt like hours to Jake as he was in a constant state of focus. His instincts and sphere worked in tandem as he fought less like a human and more like an efficient, almost bestial killing machine. It quickly became clear to him, however, that this wasn't going to end well. Despite the hundreds of dead enemies, he didn't feel like he had even put a dent in their numbers. He had reached level 60 already, but he didn't have the option to choose a skill despite that. The system wouldn't allow him to do so while still fighting, closing off the possibility of getting a skill to get him out of the situation. Now he had to try something else. Instead of staying where he was, he charged forward, slicing and dicing anything in front of him as he advanced. He had to find the source of the rats. 
Fighting through the basin was slow and tiring. Jake's progress was impeded by waves of rats trying to climb over each other to bite him. He stepped on several, nearly falling, and was repeatedly forced to expend more and more mana to maintain scales of the malefic viper. He had somehow managed to carve a path through the beasts for over sixty meters when his sphere finally picked up something, a figure unlike the army of rats attacking him. A tall figure stood at the opposite end of the basin in front of yet another dark barrier blocking off what he assumed to be the path forward. At first he believed it to be a human, but soon it became clear it was barely humanoid. It stood on two legs, but had a chubby body covered in fur and a staff in one of its claws, claws that even had an extra growth resembling a thumb. Its face looked a lot like an average rat, but it wore a ragged robe covering its fur. He focused on it through his sphere while he fought and managed to identify it. Ratman Swarm Controller, Level 81. Its level was far higher than any of the rats, and the name made its role pretty damn obvious. With a target in sight, he continued with renewed vigor. The problem of the constant swarm of rats didn't diminish in the least, however, as they kept coming. There was a finite amount, but their total number was in the thousands. They'd been spread throughout the basin initially, and many were still just gathering, likely at the controller's behest. Jake had to finish it off, and finish it fast. Taking a risk, he started building up mana within himself, as he continued getting closer to the controller, step by step. After a few seconds, he felt that he had built up sufficient energy as he released it. An explosion of pure mana appeared around him, briefly pushing back everything. The rats, air, even the dark mana was pushed back. It hadn't done any real damage to the rats, but it had created the opening he needed. With a badger's jump, he shot up to the ceiling, nearly smashing into it. At the same time, threads of dark mana shot out of him as they attached themselves to the stones above. Instead of falling back down, he hung by thin threads of dark mana. It wouldn't last for long, but all he needed was a single shot. Taking out his bow, he began channeling an infused power shot. His stance was shoddy, and it wouldn't be the best he could fire, but it would have to do. The rats didn't idle. They climbed on the walls and even managed to dig their claws into the ceiling as they tried crawling towards him. At the same time, the rats around the controller started building a barrier with their own bodies. The controller was just barely inside his sphere, and even without it, he had used Mark of the Ambitious Hunter on it before he jumped. His energy continued building up in his arms and bow as the rats got closer and closer. Right before the rats reached him and his threads broke, he released the stored energy by firing. The explosion of mana broke his mana strings and sent him falling towards the ground, but he kept his focus on the controller. It summoned a wall of dark mana in front of it in a last-ditch effort, but to no avail. The arrow shot right through the wall of rats and pierced the dark mana like it hadn't even been there. It continued right into the controller's chest, blowing a hole the size of a fist through the rat man. The moment the arrow hit, all the rats seemed to freeze up briefly. Those on the ceiling and walls lost grip and fell down, and the rats fell over each other in their moment of confusion. Jake didn't receive a notification, meaning the controller still lived, but he had a golden opportunity. While falling, he quickly soaked his dagger and sword in blood of the malefic viper, ready to continue his assault. He sprang forth upon hitting the ground and used Shadow Vault in one fluid motion as he launched towards the still-reeling rat man. 
It held one claw to its chest and raised its staff with its other, smashing it into the ground. When it hit, it echoed through the basin, and all the rats around Jake started moving to attack him once more. But it was already too late. Jake reached the controller and tried to stab it. The rat man managed to block with its staff at the very last moment, but it failed to stop the follow-up kick to its gaping wound, making it tumble backward. It didn't manage to collect itself before a blade swept in from the side, decapitating it. With the controller dead, the rats around him once more lost their cohesion. Jake reached out and grabbed the staff dropped by the rat man, then quickly checked the description. Swarm control rod, unique. A rod used to control the mole rat swarmers, lost upon exiting the forgotten sewers. It can only be used with compatible skills. Upon the destruction of the staff, kill any bound by it. That description said all he needed to know. Jake tried smashing the staff into the ground as hard as he could. Sadly, all it did was hurt his already aching arm, as he didn't even scratch it. Even his venom fang didn't do anything. The rats were still confused, but soon they started collecting themselves a bit. They were no longer acting with cohesion, but instead individually. And individually they still wanted to take a bite out of the tasty human in the basin. Jake desperately tried breaking the staff to no avail as the rats closed in on him once more. He tried injecting mana into it, using touch of the malefic viper and even putting it into his spatial storage. Nothing worked, and he couldn't put it in his storage at all. As he was about to just throw it aside and try and fight the damn things, he thought of his alchemical flame. The flames were the hallmark of many alchemists, allowing one to break down materials and ingredients while also acting as a heat source. He summoned the flame around the staff and momentarily thought it another failure until a small crack appeared on the staff's body. Pushing even more mana into the skill, the flames erupted in power as the staff slowly started getting broken down. As it did so, he swung the burning staff at nearby rats to keep them at bay until, finally, it broke in two mid-swing. The rat he had tried to hit dropped lifelessly to the floor along with all the others. Instantly the basin went from a flurry of activity to complete stillness. Jake was flooded with many notifications for the kills, but only got a single level despite the thousands of rats that just died. Ding! Class Ambitious Hunter has reached level 62, stat points allocated, plus four free points. During the course of the battle, he had earned three levels in total, counting the final one. It was pretty apparent that he got less experience from them due to how he'd killed thousands of rats by breaking the staff. If he hadn't, he would have likely gained three or maybe even four levels just from smashing a rod. And speaking of the staff, he noticed ashes left behind by burning it. The wood had a strange purple color, almost as if it was ground-up crystals. Using Identify confirmed it wasn't anything ordinary. Lesser F-wood ashes, uncommon. The ashes left behind by burnt lesser F-wood, used in a myriad of recipes related to the soul and mind, has no effect upon direct consumption. Using his necklace, he didn't have to scoop up the ashes, he simply deposited them directly into the spatial storage. There wasn't that much left after burning the staff, and he had no idea what to use it for, but with so much space left remaining in his storage, he saw no reason not to hoard. Jake sat down on the floor amidst the corpses of rats as he breathed heavily. He was pretty damn drained of both stamina and mana, as he had freely been using skills during the entire fight, not holding anything back. 
His pants had small holes in places, but by supplying manna, the self-repair enchant got to work and started mending. The fight had gone as well as one could expect, though. He must have multiplied his total kill count by many times during this one dungeon dive. One point that especially experienced a lot of growth was his tutorial points. He had earned full points from all the rats he had killed, even those that died after smashing the staff, making his total amount multiply instantly. He still had no use for the points currently, and his guess was that they only showed their worth after completing the tutorial, which meant that they were of no importance or consequence for now. If he failed to defeat the King of the Forest, it wouldn't matter anyway. Jake couldn't help but find it kind of funny, though, that the shitty sewer dungeon had gone from being the least effective source of experience and tutorial points to the most rewarding in such a short period. Then again, it came with associated risks. Without his scales, he would have been eaten up whole, and without his bloodline allowing him to be aware of his surroundings, he would have likely died before even reaching here. He could only imagine how horrible the dungeon would be for a regular party entering, though of course they would have their own methods to survive and progress. After examining his body and waiting a bit to be entirely sure no more enemies came, he entered meditation. Finally, he had the time and opportunity to pick a new class skill. Chapter 16 Dark Attunement Jake was two levels above the required one for choosing a new skill, but luckily it didn't seem to have any adverse effect. He had feared that delaying it for too long would lead to complications, but then again the restrictions about skill gains in combat were system-imposed, so it would be kind of bullshit if it punished him. Before checking the skills available, he quickly made a small prayer to finally get some kind of area-of-effect skill. If he could shoot exploding arrows, or maybe emit poisonous mist or something like the Den Mother, he could have easily dominated the Controller and the army of rats. If he couldn't get that, he could maybe settle for another time-manipulating legendary skill. That wouldn't be too much to ask, right? Ambitious Hunter class skills available. Opening his system menu, he began going through the skills. Five new entries had appeared, a.k.a. the maximum. The first skill he started with was, weirdly enough, both exciting and boring at the same time. Dark Bolt, common, the starting point for many aspiring dark casters, allows the hunter to summon bolts of dark mana to defeat his foes. Those hit suffer a penalty to perception and suffer damage over time as the dark mana ravages their very being. Adds a minor bonus to the effect of intelligence when using Dark Bolt. Reading the skill, he found it interesting he even had it. It seemed like a caster spell and not a hunter one at all. But then again, he had learned how to condense bolts of dark mana and could do so without a skill, so maybe the system was just offering up a skill to do the same. If it became an official skill, he could likely use it without any long wind-up. It would also undoubtedly be stronger, if not just for the effectiveness bonus from his intelligence the skill provided. That was the exciting part, with the massive drawback of the skill itself being how little it appealed to him. Jake was an archer, a hunter, above anything else. He wasn't going to start becoming a mage any time soon. If it was a skill that complemented his hunter skills, like Shadow Vault, he could roll or vault with it, but this skill was clearly aiming towards an entirely different path than his own. In other words, he would prefer to choose some other random skill he had unlocked prior. While throwing magic around seemed like a fun thing to do, it wasn't really him. Maybe in the future he would pick up some more mage-like skills. 
Moving on, he read the next skill. Tendrils of darkness, uncommon. Of all the senses, perhaps the one of touch is the most universal. Summon invisible tendrils of darkness that allow you to feel the area around you. The tendrils are weak to energy attacks, but their ethereal nature makes them immune to physical ones. Range of the tendrils scales with perception. Adds a small bonus to the effect of intelligence and perception when using tendrils of darkness. This one was very similar to the Dark Bolt one. It was just a skill apparently mimicking what he had already done, albeit likely in a far more efficient and effective way. This was likely a skill stemming from his exploration method of placing strings everywhere. But to Jake, this skill made even less sense than the Dark Bolt. The only reason he had used it was due to the unique circumstances he had found himself in. He could easily see it being useful for someone without his sphere of perception. If one spread the tendrils out around oneself, it would be tough for anyone to sneak up on them. Of course, his sphere already had that part covered, and quite honestly, he believed his sphere was leagues ahead. Yet the skill was different enough that he doubted it would be a repeat of Moment of the Primal Hunter. It also kind of carried the same caster-like sentiments of the Dark Bolt, though a bit less. While it did hold some uses for him, he believed that he could teach himself to do those things without a skill. With that in mind, he moved on to the next option. Distracting shot, uncommon. Every arrow is not necessarily meant to strike your foes, but simply to create an opportunity to do so. Shoot an arrow copying your mana signature and aura, distracting those of lower intelligence or those unaware of your current position. Adds a small bonus to the effect of agility and perception when using distracting shot. This skill was at least quite a bit different. Nothing about dark mana with this one. Jake didn't know if this was related to him distracting rats earlier in the dungeon, though. Back then, he had just shot some burning arrows, after all. And while it had worked out rather well, then, the skill didn't really excite him. It was just dull. If Jake wanted to distract something, he could do it by just firing a regular arrow, and if the enemy were smart enough to know that was a diversion, it would likely not fall for this skill either. Heck, it directly said that it only worked on stupid things. Sure, it was way better than a burning arrow, and while it likely could be useful, it didn't really mesh with Jake's current style of combat. He could incorporate it, but it didn't really appeal to him. So with that in mind, he continued down the list of skills. Descending Dark Fang, rare. A fang coated in dark mana descending like the clamping mouth of a snake. Do a downward strike with a melee weapon, significantly increasing penetrative power and damage inflicted. Dark mana makes the wound harder to heal and drains energy until dispelled. Damage improved further if the weapon is benefiting from Twin Fang style. Adds a small bonus to the effect of agility, strength, and intelligence when using Descending Dark Fang. The first rare skill finally appeared. It was pretty clear from the name and description that this skill was an upgraded version of the Descending Fang skill he had skipped when he reached level 50. Interestingly enough, he could also still pick the normal Descending Fang along with this one. Jake had wanted a good melee skill for quite a while. He had to admit that the Descending Fang skill had appealed to him quite a lot, and this upgraded skill even more so. All the benefits added by Dark Mana appeared to synergize well with the damage over time effects from his poisons and the venom from Venom Fang, too. Increasing penetrative power would also make it easier to apply his affliction to ones with strong resilience. If he had met someone or something with a skill like Scales of the Malefic Viper, he would have had difficulty dealing proper damage without using infused power shot. 
Overall, the skill seemed like a great addition to his arsenal, finally giving him an excellent melee combat option. He was already pretty competent in that department due to the massive benefits from his bloodline. His high stats were also helping quite a lot. The fact that his Venom Fang, the most potent weapon he had by far, benefited from the skill even more due to being made of bone, only made it all the better. Besides, using Descending Dark Fang with Venom Fang just seemed fitting. Unless the last skill was a significant surprise, he had pretty much decided on this one already as he checked the final skill, which was a surprise. Dark Attunement, Unique You have shown yourself to have exceptional dark affinity, allowing you to create and manipulate dark mana more easily. Permanently transform a part of your mana pool to dark mana, empowering and reducing the cost of all dark affinity skills. This mana innately limits the perception of those affected, and consumes other types of mana affinities. Also allows the user to absorb mana of the dark affinity more easily. Beware that while attunement opens many paths, just as many are severed. Jake had to read the skill over a couple of times. In fact, he wasn't sure that calling it a skill was correct. It was something far more than that. It was to choose a path, a decision that would matter far more than anything outside of class or profession selections. It didn't take a genius to figure out that turning his mana into that of the Dark Affinity would have lasting consequences, as well as perks. He would become a hunter using Dark Magic. A powerful path, for sure, he surmised. But he didn't like it. It didn't feel right. He wasn't even sure if it would work properly with all of his skills, or would it just upgrade things like his infused power shot? Would Touch of the Malefic Viper work the same as before? Perhaps it would immediately make him more powerful, but he feared the sense of permanence in the skill, the commitment to a path, one he could likely never reverse, and even if he could, it would come at a high cost. The fantasy did have great appeal to a more juvenile part of him, the thought of being a hunter hidden in the dark, killing all before they even knew of his presence. It was a great fantasy, but fantasy is all it would ever be. This didn't mean he would cut himself off from the use of dark mana. The skill had confirmed that he held a great affinity for it, which had a lot of value in itself. So, in the end, he skipped it. Perhaps he would embrace an affinity at another time, but for now he wanted to keep his paths open and his future an open book. Thus, he picked the Descending Dark Fang skill. Skill gained, Descending Dark Fang, rare. He felt the influx of instinctive knowledge on how to use the skill as he continued his meditation. He hadn't gotten the area of effect skill he had hoped for, but instead a strong single-target one. On the other hand, the gains from just the skill choice's information carried a lot of value. Overall, it had been a fruitful session of meditation and skill selection. Jake continued his meditation for half an hour more or so before opening his eyes, drinking a potion, and re-entering meditation once more. As yet another hour passed, he woke again, drank a potion, and meditated a bit more. Another hour passed as he drank another potion, but this time he didn't re-enter meditation. Getting up on his feet, he felt rather good. His health and stamina were still not full, but his mana pool had been topped up due to the high mana-density environment coupled with his own affinity to said mana. He still had some questions about affinities, such as why the dark mana helped regenerate his regular affinityless mana, but those were questions for another time. Stretching a bit, he decided to move on further into the dungeon. He did so at a relatively relaxed pace, 
He still needed time for the potion cooldowns and, in concert, his body to heal. The exit to the reservoir was indeed the barrier the controller had been standing in front of. After the controller died, the barrier had disappeared, opening the path forward. If he had to guess, then he would say the Ratman was a mini-boss of sorts. The Ratman's swarm controller had been weak on his own, with his magic somewhat subpar, and his physical strength only a tiny bit better. It was clear that the role of the controller was to, well, control the rats. Walking through the basin's exit, he found himself in yet another sewer tunnel, but at least this one was a bit more spacious than the others. Any change was a good change in this damn dungeon, according to Jake. As he walked for a few minutes, he still hadn't encountered anything until something new appeared in his sphere. Contrary to what he had expected, it wasn't another rat or even anything living for that matter. Instead, strings of mana extended from one end of the wall to the other. Jake briefly felt like someone had stolen his shtick, but soon noticed that the string served an entirely different purpose. The stones on the floor that were covered by a steady stream of water concealed long, spear-shaped objects right below where the strings were. It was a goddamn trap, the first proper one Jake had encountered in a dungeon since maybe the Challenge Dungeon, and it was a quite a vicious one at that. Those spears were clearly covered in a dense layer of dark mana, meaning getting skewered by them would do far more damage than just a flesh wound. Quite extreme for what to many will be their first encounter with a trap, Jake thought to himself, as he observed it in his sphere. As this was a tutorial, this would indeed likely be the first trap for many, and for most, that first encounter would be lethal. Of course, Jake also had to consider that the dungeons were made for parties to enter together. If a dedicated healer stood behind with an armored warrior in front, he would have a good chance of surviving. But Jake, in his solitude, didn't even consider that. To him, these dungeons had been solo adventures, after all. Jake didn't even take out his bow, but instead condensed a bolt of dark mana in his hand and threw it into the strings. The moment it hit them, the entire floor exploded upwards in a cloud of smoke as the stones broke and the spheres extended. The power behind them was quite honestly insane. Even with Jake's high stats, he would have been skewered before even having time to react appropriately. While he didn't think it would kill him outright, he sure as hell didn't want to test it. Jake waited a few moments, but noticed that the spheres didn't re-enter the ground as he had expected. Cautiously walking up to them, he noticed that the spheres were made of a similar material to the staff he had taken from the Rat Man. While he could get past the spheres around the sides, he instead summoned his alchemical flame and got to work. He had time to spare while he regenerated, and while he didn't know what the weird ash he had gained from the staff could be used for, he didn't believe that one could have too many materials of uncommon rarity. The process was slow, but he managed to burn down all the spears in less than fifteen minutes before continuing onwards. Collecting the ashes, he was starting to get a worthwhile pile in his storage. Soon, he encountered a few more traps and a few hidden rats sitting and waiting to ambush him. Wow, this dungeon has it all, an encounter with traps and rats, he scoffed internally. All of it was passed relatively quickly as he killed the rats and ignored the traps. Sadly, he only encountered two more spear traps, meaning he didn't gain that much ash. The other traps were just other boring things like the walls smashing together, pitfalls, and even a trap that caused the floor to erupt into black flames. As it was starting to get a bit too annoying, he finally saw the end of the tunnel.
and, if he was lucky, the end of the damned dungeon. Chapter 17 Nest Watcher The tunnel opened up once more as Jake found himself in a small, circular cistern. Water was stored below, and a cross-shaped bridge allowed one to get across without getting wet. The road straight ahead led to another hallway, while the path to either side led into pipes. Jake had just entered the area when a rat appeared directly opposite him. He was prepared to take it down when it took the path to the left and entered the pipe, and that was when something truly interesting happened. The pipe disappeared for just a few seconds before a new, perfectly identical one appeared. Jake couldn't be sure if it was the same pipe. All he knew was that some dungeon fuckery was going on. Was this perhaps where all the rats in the dungeon came from? He knew that he was looking for a nest of some sort. His objective was to kill the nest watcher, after all, and to watch a nest, there needed to be one, and for the nest to be where the rats came from also seemed rather logical. I'm a genius, he joked to himself. Checking his stamina and health one final time, he proceeded forward. The trap-filled tunnel had given him time to down a few more potions, topping him up entirely. Walking at a brisk pace, he crossed the bridge and entered the tunnel, heading towards what he presumed to be the nest, a prediction that proved correct as he soon found himself on yet another platform overlooking a reservoir. But unlike the last, this one didn't appear to be filled with thousands of weak rats. The darkness still obstructed his vision, making him unable to get a good look, but he could feel something down there. Four strong presences, none of the auras weaker than the Den Mother's, Unless the Dundon had decided to up the bullshit even further, this had to be the end. He prepared his arrows and sword and dagger with poison as he waited the last twenty minutes for his potion cooldown to be over. Good to go, he began his assault. Jake jumped down into the basin, his bow already out and an arrow knocked, ready to be drawn. Advanced stealth on full display, he moved along as sneakily as he could. He could feel the auras of the four powerful beasts, but no others. Perhaps they were hidden by a stealth skill like most rats possessed in the dungeon, or there were indeed only four of them. Soon the situation became clear to him, and it wasn't what he had expected. Four giant rats were lying on the ground together, surrounded by a massive number of smaller rats. The big rats were quite frankly far too big for it to make any sense. They looked like they couldn't even move. They were hairless, like most of the other rats in the sewer, but their proportions were just all off. Their bellies were inflated to ridiculous sizes, and their external limbs looked like they could barely carry the beast. It didn't even have any claws. He identified one of the enormous rats and got at least a partial answer through it as to what the hell these things were. Mole Rat Incubator, level unknown. The name made it quite clear what the function of these rats was, and it also explained the many tiny rats around them, one of which he also identified. Mole Rat, level 10. They were indeed just pups, far too small to pose any threat, yet Jake knew that leaving them alone would be unwise. This was a dungeon, and not the actual world. The death of these pups would mean nothing. They were never going to mature, they were just background noise added to the real challenge. Jake looked around a bit further, but didn't spot the so-called nest-watcher. If it doesn't want to show itself, then I will make it, Jake thought, as he covertly marked the first incubator with mark of the ambitious hunter, while he made tendrils of shadows attached to the three others. None of them even reacted to his actions. 
After that, he retreated to the entrance of the reservoir once more. There were no obstacles between him and the incubators, meaning he had a free line of sight. Well, he couldn't actually see them, but his arrows would move unobstructed. With the mark as a guide, he started channeling an infused power shot. There were roughly ninety meters between him and his target, giving him ample time to bombard them before giving them the chance to retaliate. He was unsure of the incubator's combat capabilities, so he decided that it was better to be safe than sorry. Maybe they would awaken and be true monsters after he attacked it. When he reached the limit of energy he could charge, he released the arrow. The explosion of mana pushed back the dark mana around him for a brief moment and shattered the stones directly below him as a testament to the power behind the shot. A power that soon tore into the first incubator's head, obliterating it entirely. You have slain Morad Incubator, level 86. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level, 132,000 TP earned. Focusing on his tether attached to the second incubator, he managed to place a new mark. Knocking another arrow, he prepared another shot right away and released the string once more towards the next target. You have slain Morad Incubator, level 85. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level, 130,000 TP earned. Ding! Class Ambitious Hunter has reached level 63. Stat points allocated, plus four free points. Ding! Race Human, E, has reached level 57. Stat points allocated, plus five free points. Surprisingly, it also died in a single shot. The second attack hadn't even been close to as powerful as the first, yet it had proved lethal. But the momentary surprise didn't slow down his movements at all as he marked his next target, charged, and released yet another attack. This one didn't manage to kill it directly, but he felt it hitting through the mark. He instantly fired another, but this arrow didn't hit at all. The incubator still lay unmoving where it had always been, so something had blocked his attack. He quickly tried switching the mark to the next incubator. Firing another arrow, it too got blocked. Jake decided to just charge a powerful infused power shot once more before shooting. He guessed that the last two had erected a barrier or something, and the best way to break that would be through sheer force. Charging it up, he felt his danger sense explode, followed by something entering his sphere. Something fast. Jake fired the arrow prematurely at one of the incubators as he ducked. Where his chest had been only milliseconds prior, a crescent wave of dark mana passed. The wave continued as it cut deep into the stone behind him, making the entire wall explode and crumble. To his surprise, he heard the sound of a kill notification on yet another incubator as he was forced to once more jump to safety from another dark wave of destructive mana. And just as he was starting to get his bearings, he saw it enter his sphere. It was tall and standing on two legs, easily towering over two jakes put together. It had hair all over its body and looked almost human except for its head. It was another rat man, a rat man wearing a helmet, it was a lot like the Swarm Controller, but this one was far bigger in every aspect. It wore heavy armor that looked to be made of some kind of black exoskeleton, and over its shoulder it carried a huge, crude black sword that looked to be made of stone. He could see the muscles hidden beneath the fur, making it crystal clear it was the warrior type. But as Jake observed it, it observed him back, and to his surprise opened its mouth in a roar. Human! Why kill? Jake was taken aback by the words. No, by the fact that it could even speak. 
He had assumed all the enemies he met in dungeons were just common beasts, while some, like the white stag, had shown signs of intelligence, it was nothing close to speaking. This rat man, however, overturned his expectations. As he took too long to answer, the rat man roared once more, King Lysand, why come? Jake finally collected himself as he answered honestly, seeing no reason to hide anything. I have come to defeat the beast lords on my way to kill the king of the forest. Now it was the rat man's time to be taken aback for a moment, before it started laughing with a bizarre rat-like laugh. Ah, you pup! King strong! Schumann weak! Must be embarrassing to die to a pup, Jake answered as he once more lifted his bow. He didn't bother chatting with the rat man any more than this. They would have to fight no matter what, as he had already identified his opponent. Nest watcher, level unknown. If the fight was inevitable, why delay it? It was doubtful that he could learn anything useful from the rat man. On the other hand, it would give the nest watcher time to maybe call for reinforcements or have the one remaining incubator do something. He also wasn't sure if there was only one nest watcher. The rat man reacted as Jake fired a splitting arrow towards it by swinging his oversized blade, releasing a crescent wave of black mana. The arrows still in mid-flight were annihilated by the wave as it continued onwards straight in the direction of their shooter. Dodging, Jake fired another barrage of arrows, but was met by another wave of mana released by the now-charging Ratman. The Ratman didn't look like it had any intention to chat anymore, either. Jake decided to switch it up, using Badger Jump to create some distance as he charged an infused power shot. This time, the Nest Watcher didn't attack, but blocked the arrow with the blade's flat part. It was pushed back a few steps, but didn't seem otherwise affected as it continued its charge. Jake continued firing a few more arrows, but they were either blocked or pushed away with a wave of the giant blade. Soon, he could no longer keep a distance as he came face to face with the giant figure. He barely reached its waist, and he felt the overpowering aura as it brought down its sword upon him. He dodged to the side as the ground where he had once stood exploded in a flurry of dust and dark mana. Jake managed to make use of the opening as he landed an arrow in the leg of the rat man. Physically, it didn't do much damage, but it had managed to penetrate the skin. Soon the area around the wound was black from the necrotic poison, clearly doing worthwhile damage. Not that it could be seen on the bipedal rat, as the assault continued with the same vigor and power as before. Jake kept dodging its blows as he managed to land pot shots once in a while. The damage slowly accumulated as the poison ravaged the system of the Ratman from within. After a solid shot to the knee with an infused power shot, Jake finally managed to stumble the Nest Watcher and made it fall on its knee. This allowed Jake to open up a worthwhile distance between them. A quick badger jump coupled with a shadow vault put a good fifty meters between them almost instantly as he began charging yet another infused power shot. The entire reservoir was a mess at this point, with broken stone everywhere and considerable gashes in the walls and ceilings. He felt the power build up as the Ratman got up once more. But contrary to belief, it didn't charge again, but instead pointed its blade towards him. Black mana condensed around the blade as it started being charged with energy too. To Jake, it only looked like a black hole condensed somewhere in front of him, his sight still impeded by the dark mana, an affliction the rat clearly didn't suffer from. Jake welcomed the challenge with a smile, however. The battle seemed to come to a standstill as both charged their attacks for nearly ten seconds. 
Jake was the first to release his string. The attack was the most powerful one he could muster with his current stats and skills. Right after, the Ratman also released the energy he had built up. A torrent of dark mana poured forth and condensed into a blade-shaped beam headed straight for the incoming arrow and, of course, the one who had shot it. The attacks crashed together in an explosion that seemed to shake the entire dungeon. However, it was clear that the dark mana won out as it continued onwards, weakened, but far from weak. Not that Jake had any intention of being in its way. He had already used a shadow vault to the side even before the attacks hit each other, as he had no confidence in winning a direct confrontation of power. He was faster than the Nest Watcher, but he was far behind in the strength department. His most considerable advantage, as always, was in his instincts and high perception, allowing him to read the situation better and make the best split-second decisions in the spur of the moment. And now was one such moment. Quickly, he fired yet another, far weaker, infused power shot at the Rat Man. It was something he had clearly not expected as the arrow hit him in the chest, blasting him backward and shattering a part of his armor. Jake followed up with a splitting arrow towards the still-shaken giant, managing to land additional wounds. They were minor, but everything was starting to add up. The Rat Man roared as he released a barrage of black mana waves, forcing Jake to retreat once more. He could feel that draining the Nest Watcher of mana likely wasn't going to happen due to the atmospheric mana, but its health and stamina had to be lacking at this point. This was the first dungeon boss that Jake had faced in what he would call a genuinely straight-on fight. The Den Mother had been poorly matched against him, and he had partly cheesed the battle, while the fight with the Great White Stag had been more about the moon and ponds than any direct confrontation. It felt good just to have a fight like this. The Nest Watcher was powerful, but not above what he could manage at his current level of power. Overall, it was quite a lot stronger than him, but he was now about to bring it down with his instincts and effective kiting tactics. Of course, he knew that 90% of the damage he had done was due to his poisons, but all of it was part of his strength. Jake continued his assault as he continued dodging wave after wave, kiting around the hole, never allowing the Rat Man to get in melee range and land a blow. As victory was in his grasp, something suddenly changed. The Rat Man stopped attacking as he stood up straight and regarded Jake, who had also stopped attacking. You strong, but king stronger, the Rat Man said as it heaved for breath. Right now, maybe the king is, Jake answered, as he already expected the fight to be over. The Rat Man was a dead rat walking with all the poison in its system. It was a foregone conclusion already, and he had nothing against waiting for the last of its life to drain away. But I only grow stronger. Perhaps I can't win today, but I still have time. No, you not, it answered. King, too strong. He, Apex. You do lose. Not that matter. With those words, the Nest Watcher exploded in a torrent of darkness that consumed all light, and Jake's sight disappeared completely once more. Energy pressed down on him as he felt like a tsunami of dark mana suddenly washed over him. Cause you die now! Chapter 18 A Final Gift Jake felt like he was submerged in oil. Everything went completely black, and his entire body felt like he was deep underwater. Even sound seemed to disappear, and he was left with nearly no external stimulus. 
nearly since two things still worked, his sphere and his roaring sense of danger at what was heading towards him. He tried jumping back fast enough, but took a deep cut across his chest as he jumped backward. It was followed up by another strike that sought to impale him through his heart. He managed to barely weave to the side of the blade as he felt it brush past him, the dense mana surrounding the huge sword burning his side. It wasn't just that Jake had gotten slower, the rat man had gotten stronger and faster. It moved as if it hadn't taken a single injury during their entire fight, but in his sphere he clearly saw what was truly going on. The rat man was burning up with mana. It came out of every orifice, and even the puncture wounds Jake's arrows had caused earlier. Every vestige of energy was being burned, and it was only a matter of time before it would collapse. The Jake didn't have that much time, as he barely managed to avoid a swipe of its sword, but was still caught in the wave of dark mana, blowing him back. He felt the dark mana dig into his body and the energy within him being drained. Health, stamina, and mana all took a hit as the mana ravaged through him. He used his shadow bolt to dodge an overhead blow and instantly regretted it. The moment he turned into the ethereal shadow, the dark mana dug into him, draining him at an alarming rate until he quickly disabled the skill. To make it even worse, this resulted in him failing to dodge away as far as he wanted and being blown away by the blade smashing into the ground. He knew he couldn't keep it up. He needed to change the status quo. Dodging was not an option, and he was slowed down far too much by the domain of darkness to flee. His evasion skill was more than useless. So instead of trying to avoid the enemy, he charged. The Rat Man was faster and stronger than him, but it did have two major disadvantages, its weapon and fighting style. The heavy sword was great at medium range, and its waves of dark mana allowed it to even fight well at long range. At short range, it had issues. The blade was too long to properly land hits, and coupled with the Nest Watcher's giant size, the small human was a difficult target to pin down. However, Jake needed an opportunity to get in close, and the Rat Man seemed more than content to keep him away. So he played one of his final cards. He ran straight towards the Rat without any intention to dodge, his Venom Fang in one hand and his short sword in the other. The Nest Watcher responded with an overhead smash. The raised blade descended like a meteor as his danger sense exploded out with warnings of him being obliterated. But just before the blade hit him, it seemed to stop mid-swing. The roaring waves of mana slowed down, the smoke-like mana pouring out from the Rat Man moving in slow motion. Moment of the Primal Hunter. Jake, the only one unaffected by the warped time, dodged the blade easily, and time returned to normal once more. The Rat Man was still confused as the dagger cut into its right knee. Jake had held nothing back. The descending dark fang penetrated the wound left by an arrow earlier and utterly shattered the kneecap. Despite the dark mana's effects buffing it up, the nest watcher still could no longer use the leg. He knelt down on the other one. The rat man would likely be able to do a quick repair and resume motion in a short time, if Jake let him. A sword and dagger cut into it once more from behind, stabbing into its back and shoulder. It tried to swing its sword behind it, but failed to hit anything, as the two weapons dug into its flesh again. Jake avoided the armor covering the nest watcher with his blades. It only covered parts of the body, and a lot of it had broken off by now anyway. After landing two more blows, he decided that enough was enough, and retreated backward once more. He had injected far more poison into the Rat Man, and even if the Dark Mana was keeping it at bay currently, it would still spell the doom of the Nest Watcher. 
The rat man kept kneeling. He tried standing a few times, but failed. Soon the domain of darkness was dispelled as everything returned to normal once more. As normal as a sewer dungeon filled with constant darkness could be. By now, the rat man was well and truly spent, down on both knees with the blade dropped to the side. Cracks covered the rat man's entire body. The dark mana had clearly taken its toll. The rat man looked up at Jake, who stood only a few meters away now, its eyes fixed on his. You tell King Truth, it asked, the words barely coming out. That, or I die trying, Jake answered truthfully. King Strong, very strong, Traff's nest. The nest watcher picked up the fallen blade slowly. Jake didn't react as he could see that it genuinely could barely lift it. I hate if you truly kill, I help. Nest died long ago. You do revenge. Help me? How? he asked, a bit confused. He doubted the rat man could exit the dungeon even if it wanted. I make flam, but I weak, trapped. Never leave, but you leave. I give Chris, you kill King. It lifted the blade and held it in both hands. You accept? Sure. At his confirmation, Dark Mana started leaving the body of the Rat Man and entering the blade. At the same time, the blade started shrinking down into a small marble. As the mana was channeled, he clearly felt the Rat Man grow weaker and weaker. My son, take gift, tell Tin, revenge nest. The nest watcher barely managed to say this before the last remnants of life left its body. Its eyes closed, and Jake saw a final wisp of energy enter the bead in its hand. You have slain nest watcher, level 96. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. 152,000 TP earned. Ding! Class Ambitious Hunter has reached level 64. Stat points allocated. Plus four free points. It was a solemn end, but it had been a good fight. It's... Now, he fought well, Jake thought, as he walked up to the dead nest watcher. He nodded at the corpse and accepted the gift it had used its last remaining life to hand him. Dark Bead of the Nest Watcher. Epic. A bead made of condensed dark mana the last hope of the Nest Watcher to get revenge on the King of the Forest, can be thrown at foes to inflict them with a powerful curse of darkness upon shattering. The curse will severely limit perception and drain energy until dispelled. All of the resentment of the Nest will be unleashed if used on the King of the Forest. The bead was clearly a powerful weapon. It was a one-time-use attack, one clearly made for the King of the Forest, and Jake would happily reserve it for just that. It would maybe give him the edge he needed, Jake put the bead in his storage. While he'd planned to face the king all along, he now had just a little more motivation. He started limping towards the dungeon's exit when he was reminded of the one remaining incubator. It was still just lying there on the stones, seemingly unaware of everything that had happened. The small mole rats surrounded the three other incubators' corpses and appeared to be nipping at them. With disgust, Jake downed a healing potion and took out his dagger and sword. No matter how much respect he held for the nest watcher, its nest was now dead. There was nothing left to salvage, 
and he may as well finish the job. Ten minutes later, he walked out of the reservoir with two bloody blades in his hands. The job was done, and the final incubator, as well as all the rats, were now dead for good. You have slain Mole Rat Incubator, level 85. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. 130,000 TP earned. Ding! Class Ambitious Hunter has reached level 65. Stat points allocated, plus four free points. Ding! Race Human E has reached level 58. Stat points allocated, plus five free points. He read the notifications and continued onwards. As expected, this was indeed the end of the dungeon. He entered a new small room with a wooden door leading into it. The room held two lockboxes summoned by the system, but also many other things. In one corner were stacked hides from what appeared to be dead deer. The hides were faded, gray and dirty, obviously having been there for a long time. It wasn't hard to conclude that this was where the nest watcher had lived. The rest of the room was simple. There were no books or any type of entertainment, just a bunch of old hides and some rudimentary furniture, such as a single chair and tables all made of the same bricks as the walls and floor. For the powerful nest watcher to live in such terrible conditions, Jake could understand why he hated his existence. It also explained why he had been so slow to react to the hunter's initial assault, which allowed him to kill two incubators before he even appeared. Jake felt a tinge of sadness. It reminded him of his own experience in the Challenge Dungeon, except the Nest Watcher didn't have any end game. He was stuck in the hellhole that was this sewer, with no way out, and with a door to exit the dungeon in his very room. Jake shook his head to dispel the thoughts as he turned his attention to the lockboxes. He could do nothing for the Nest Watcher now but get stronger and kill the King of the Forest. Perhaps this had been the Ratman's intention all along, find someone powerful enough to possibly stand up to the king and then give them the bead that he had clearly been preparing for a long time. One of the two lockboxes was large and rectangular, with the other one small and square. Jake decided to open the small box first. Within, he found a rather nice-looking pair of black gloves. Picking them up, they felt leathery, and not the cheap imitation leather leathery. The gloves only covered the hand and extended a few centimeters up the arm, meaning they didn't get in the way of his bracers at all. Gloves of the Nest Watcher, rare. Gloves made from the cured leather of an unknown creature. Provide strong protection against both physical and energy attacks. User can channel mana through the gloves that can then be released as a blast of mana. The blast's power is based on the user's wisdom and intelligence, along with the mana consumed on use. Enchantments, self-repair, plus 35 intelligence. Requirements, level 55 plus in any humanoid race. Reading the description, he was rather pleased just by the simple fact that he could use them. Interestingly enough, they didn't appear to be of the dark affinity at all. It wouldn't have stopped him from using them, as he wouldn't encounter compatibility problems like with nature and light mana, but he still preferred affinityless equipment. He felt like it fit him more. The effect was also exciting, but had to be tested before he could draw any worthwhile conclusion. It appeared to be strong, and he was always looking for ways to better use his mental stats during combat. Enchantment-wise, it was relatively simple. Self-repair appeared to be a staple of system-made equipment, and while the stats on the gloves didn't benefit Jake much, they were nevertheless welcome. Intelligence, if nothing else, did make his infused power shot marginally more powerful. 
Turning his attention to the other box, he opened that one too. What was revealed was leather armor for the upper part of the body. It appeared to be made of the same material as the gloves and even sported the same colors. It had long sleeves and covered everything from the bottom of the neck to the edge of the pants. Jake couldn't help but be ecstatic. Funnily, a god-to-him shirt. For far too long had he gone with a bare chest. Far too long spent getting scratches all over his upper body and having to feel half-naked. Some decency had finally returned to his life. His happiness only increased as he identified the armor. Armor of the Nest Watcher, rare. A chest piece made from the cured leather of an unknown creature. Provides strong protection against both physical and energy attacks. The Nest Watcher's life force runs through this armor, blessing the wielder with great vitality and toughness. Enchantments, self-repair, plus 75 vitality, plus 50 toughness. Requirements, level 55 plus in any humanoid race. The armor didn't have any ability or extra effect. Instead, it just provided a buttload of stats and solid defenses, which quite honestly suited Jake just fine. Though he would have worn it even if its only ability was not to be torn whenever something even remotely touched him. Yes, he still hated that damn cloak. He put on the armor first, and he felt the warm flow of stats after he injected mana into it, binding it to him. He felt like it would take a few minutes before his body adapted to the increased stats. But more than anything, it just felt great to finally have some measure of defense between his bare skin and the claws and teeth of the beasts. Next, he picked up the gloves. Placing them on, he once more felt the increase in stats after yet another binding injection of mana. They fit like a glove, Jake thought to himself, the horrible joke fully intended. Perhaps the solitude did have some adverse effects. He did a few stretches in the new armor, feeling out the flexibility of it. It almost didn't impede him at all, and he felt great wearing it. He had nearly forgotten the feeling of being fully clothed after going the better part of a month not being so. Heck, he even looked quite good, if he had to be honest, though a bit edgy with the whole all-black theme going on. Well, all-black except for his old brown boots that still looked like they were about to tear and break at any point, an appearance they had had since the moment he got them. Feeling comfortable in his new armor, he flopped down to the ground to meditate. He considered doing it outside, but decided to use as much meditation time as possible before the dungeon would kick him out, making full use of the faster regeneration from the dark mana. One dungeon left, Jake reminded himself, as he entered meditation. Chapter 19 Willful Ignorance Fucking die already! William yelled as the huge beast in front of him refused to submit. It was far from the first time he had fought the damn thing, and this had to be the time he would win. The den mother was already covered in wounds when the huge saw blade cut into its side, managing to cut into its guts until its dense muscles stopped it. The damage from the blow was far from lethal, but it was starting to build up. William heaved for breath. His mana pool was far closer to empty than he felt comfortable with. It was barely enough for one more spear. It had to be enough. Spear of Ferorus. He summoned the ornate spear and pushed himself forward with metal manipulation. The beast was one step too late, exhaustion making it slow and sloppy as the spear penetrated it through one of its eyes. With every last point of mana, he pushed himself and the spear forward, forcing it into the brain of the damned dungeon boss. 
You have slain Denmother, level 82. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. 124,000 TD earn. Ding! Class Metal Savant has reached a level 59. Stat points allocated for six free points. Seeing the notification, he let himself fall backward as he laughed out loud. Fucking finally! He had spent more than a week in the shitty den, but it had all paid off in the end. He had finally defeated the last boss and cleared the dungeon. It had been quite the journey. It had taken William only two days to get through the first Alpha, but then another five for the next room with the Alphas and the Den Mother. He'd had to leave the dungeon a few times between to exit and grind out a level here or there to get an extra edge. He'd even gone outside at one point after he saw something interesting. After only a week remained of the tutorial timer, the dinosaurs were no longer confined to the inner zone. He had gone out and found tens of them rummaging through where Richard's base had once been. It was quite comical that he had even considered not killing them when they would all have been ripped apart by beasts anyway. No way they could have resisted dozens of level forty-plus rafters storming the camp. The dinos gathering in the camp had allowed him to kill a good deal, though. It had been a long grind, and now it all felt worth it with the damned den mother lying dead. It was his eighth attempt. Luckily, the design of the dungeon made it easy as pie to retreat if shit got bad. The tunnel between the rooms was too small for both the Alphas and Denmother to fit through, allowing him to leave whenever. Which was especially good after he'd come very close to dying in his first fight with the Denmother. When three freaking Alphas had appeared in the middle of it all and started chewing him out, he barely managed to retreat to the tunnel where he hid and meditated. Afterward, he'd gone in and out of the tunnel, killing the Alphas around the Denmother one after another, retreating and regenerating between kills. Finally, he had only the final boss alone, allowing him to focus solely on the oversized rodent. He didn't know if he would call it lucky or unlucky that the dungeon didn't reset upon leaving and entering again. On the one hand, it was nice that his progress stayed, but on the other, a resetting dungeon would be a godlike grinding spot. The grinding with the current setup had been rather mediocre, averaging just a bit over a level a day. It did get harder to level the further he went, so it really wasn't that bad. His main limiter was the long time it took for him to regenerate. His ability to absorb metal did help a bit, but it was far from enough. Getting up from the ground, he looked at the corpse of the large Denmuller. He didn't bother dissecting it, but couldn't help himself with kicking the corpse a few times and spitting on it before he moved through the last chamber. A single lockbox with the loot was there, making him smile. He doubted he could get anything close to the armor Hamann had made him, but he wasn't going to complain about getting free stuff. He opened the box, grabbed the loot, and exited the dungeon. He did get a title giving him plus one in each stat, which he honestly didn't care for. There was less than a week left of the tutorial, and he still had that one last survivor to get rid of. He didn't know how strong the archer had grown, but William doubted Jake would be worth much. From what he'd heard, he'd nearly died to Richard and Hayden, even taking severe injuries. Besides, he had spent a week exiting and re-entering the dungeon without catching sight of the guy or any kills left by him. If William didn't know better, he would guess that Jake was just hiding in some hole somewhere, hoping for the tutorial to end, a lamb waiting to be slaughtered. But before finding him, William decided to grind out one more level, reaching sixty and getting yet another skill. No reason to take any chances, after all. 
He could almost hear the begging and pleading from the archer that had once nearly ended him. It was going to be so sweet to cut him up one little piece at a time. Checking the time, he began grinding once more, still daydreaming of ripping Jake apart. Tutorial panel. Duration. Six days and twenty-three hours, one minute, forty-five seconds. After finally getting the level, he checked it one last time and saw sixteen hours had passed. Being drained from the dungeon and farming, he decided to take a quick nap before continuing his grind while looking for the archer. One where he dreamed once more. In it, a figure with green eyes came to him and whispered what he wanted to hear. His prey's location. Jake didn't even exit the dungeon, but was just thrown out the moment the countdown finished. Well, teleported out was perhaps more accurate, as he found himself still in meditation, suddenly in the dark hole outside the door where he had entered. He continued his meditation for a bit, and soon noticed an odd phenomenon. The dark manna in the hole started disappearing as he meditated. Only half an hour later, one could see through the once perfect darkness with the naked eye, and a full hour later there was no trace the manna had ever been there at all. Jake opened his eyes and saw that the door still appeared to leak small tendrils of dark mana, and in a day or so the hole would likely return to the same darkness as before, not that it was any of his business. A quick badger jump later, he found himself atop the hole once more within the hollow mountain. Finally he bothered to check his notifications, seeing that his titles had indeed upgraded once again. Dungeoneer 4. Successfully clear a dungeon suitable for your level. Plus four all stats. Dungeon Pioneer 4. Be the first to clear a dungeon suitable for your level. Plus twelve all stats. He was beginning to wonder if those two would ever cap out or something. It seemed ridiculous if he could continuously clear dungeons and upgrade the title infinitely. He could only imagine someone with Dungeon Pioneer 1000 increasing all stats by 3000. Actually, that didn't sound that bad, considering one would have to be the first to clear dungeons a thousand times, and the levels alone from that would likely make those stats insignificant in comparison. He still suspected there was a cap, though. He wasn't sure, he just had a feeling. The next part that had been updated was his one quest. Tutorial Quest, The Beast Lords. The forest murmurs with rumors of a king ruling the forest from the shadows. The four beast lords each guard their dungeon as their king commanded, waiting for a suitable challenger to appear. With the death of his lords, the king is sure to be forced into the light. But be warned, the lords will not meet their end that easily. Two lords have now fallen. The king has taken notice, but has yet to make a move. Continue with the quest, and you shall inevitably meet. With the nest watcher's death, your presence is now beginning to become truly worthy of notice. The king of the forest will not sit idle as you attempt to dismantle the careful balance his domain has attained. With only a single beast lord left standing, your quest will soon be complete, and the king shall come. Objective. Defeat the beast lords. Current progress, three of four. Reading it, he got a bit giddy about finally facing the big bad king of the forest. But before that, he still had a dungeon left to clear out. Checking the time remaining, he noted that he indeed was a little pressed for time. Tutorial panel. Duration. Six days and four hours, forty-nine minutes, thirty-two seconds. The sewer had been far longer than he expected. If the next one was the same, he wasn't confident in doing it and still having time to prepare and face the king. But he would have to make do with the time he had, 
and hope that the final dungeon turned out faster. Chugging one last healing potion, he began moving forward, his health, mana, and stamina all at a healthy level. He didn't have the luxury of delaying any more as he made a beeline for the next dungeon. It was a bit lucky that he hadn't suffered as terrible of wounds in the sewers as he had against the Great White Stad. Perhaps it was because the type of damage he'd received against the Stad was of the Light Affinity, while the Nest Watcher's damage was Dark Affinity. He had been a lot more injured overall back then, though. It was evident that he had great dark affinity and horrible light affinity. It did make sense that the two were opposing forces, and it was likely the same with fire and water affinities. He would have to ask the Malefic Viper, or someone else with a bit more experience dealing with the system. Running at a brisk pace, he headed towards the next dungeon. He did meet a group of raptors who decided to leg it when they noticed him, clearly not interested in a fight. It was a bit disappointing, as he would have loved to try out the new mana blast from his gloves, as he had decided to call it. Not that it stopped him, as he practiced a few times while running. It reminded him a lot of the explosive punch he had unlocked quite a while ago. This attack didn't require blowing up his own arm, though, so it was a huge step up. The other difference was, of course, that this one used mana. And while Jake didn't know how powerful the blow was, it sure did wonders on the boulder he tried it on, blowing it to pieces. It was like walking with a hand grenade, ready to explode whenever he willed it. In other words, it was awesome. Continuing, he soon saw something he hadn't expected. A corpse. And it wasn't one he had killed himself, as he had never been there before. The wounds also appeared to have been made with blades, or maybe daggers. Humans, not beasts, had killed it. He stopped to look at them for a bit. Had some of the other survivors made it to the inner area? It doesn't matter, it has nothing to do with me, Jake thought to himself, as he prepared to keep going. Barely managing to turn around, he spotted something standing there on the hill leading up the mountain. A humanoid figure completely covered in what appeared to be silver. It looked like a mannequin, but it was clear that it wasn't as it started walking towards him. As they walked, metal peeled away from the face, revealing a smirking face that Jake recognized. Missed me? William said as he looked down on Jake, both figuratively and literally. What was your name again? Jake asked, genuinely unsure. It was something with W, right? William, I think. William, however, froze briefly, looking at Jake as if he were a complete idiot. Are you fucking daft or what? he asked with evident annoyance. Sorry, you haven't exactly been on my mind. I just remember you as this metal-casting backstabber. I don't know, can you just go? I am kind of busy. Come on, stop playing around. You have to know what this is, William declared in a mocking tone. Two people remaining, the final confrontation between the last survivors, the decider, an epic battle of destiny where the true champion is found. What the hell are you on about? Jake asked with real confusion. Last survivors? What did he... Total survivors remaining, two of twelve hundred. How hadn't he seen it? He had checked the timer so many times. The number was always there, right below. Had he somehow overlooked it? Maybe it had, for some reason, not appeared. However, William apparently understood what was happening far faster than Jake. Holy shit, William said as he started laughing. And people call me a fucking lunatic. Holy shit, you're for real, you cold bastard. I killed the last one like a fucking week ago. 
Jacob, that guy, had apparently become a lunatic and made them all go full-on Kool-Aid. I've no worries. I killed him quickly, and I actually felt a bit bad about it. So, we're all good, right? Jake just stood there as the guy kept talking, mocking him as his brain was trying to catch up. And he managed just to ignore it. I am honestly impressed. Not even I could do that. And I even had a doctor tell me that I am indeed a fucking psycho, but you were just winging it. William walked closer to Jake, now only a few meters between them as he continued. Or he just a coward, too scared to check. All that said, you are just a damn coward hiding away in your own little world, so afraid of being a disappointment to everyone that you'd rather never see them again, so afraid of rejection that you would rather let them die while you do nothing. <laughs> this is a fucking comedy, man, and you're the butt of the joke. Just, oh, the coward speak, die. The distance was closed in an instant, the move far faster than the teenager had ever predicted. He covered his face with the armor in panic, but it didn't matter. A dagger coated in dark mana exploded down onto his chest, smashing into his prized armor and into his chest with a loud crunching sound. He was pressed into the ground, creating a small crater. Jake didn't let up and give him a chance to react either, as he punched down, releasing a blast from his new gloves. The crater only grew as Jake released another and another. He continued hitting, soon without any bursts of mana being released when he ran out of mana, but he kept slamming his bloody fists into the distorted armor below him. He didn't stop even when he got the notification. He just kept rampaging until, suddenly, he stopped halfway through yet another punch. What the fuck am I doing? he muttered to himself as he fell backward on his ass. He was sitting in a crater that had grown to several meters wide and nearly a meter deep, the distorted armor encompassing the metal caster's body at the center, blood leaking out of every small crevice or tear in the armor. Tears started to gather in his eyes as he punched his broken fist into the ground. What the fuck am I doing? 